What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Are you like me and thought one day, I want to start a podcast? Well, it's easy. All you do is go to Anchor FM and sign up for free. Then, all you do is you can record from your computer or your phone. And next thing you know, all you do is upload your episode. And then like magic, Anchor just goes and releases it everywhere. To Apple, to Spotify, you name it, it releases it there. It's easy, it's simple, it's fun to use. And like me, I'm not very technical oriented. Again, easy. Not like the rapper, but it's easy. If you get what I mean. So again, go to Anchor FM, sign up. And uh, start being a content or podcast creator today. third eye, prying open your thought, truth, and reality, questioning everything and anything from conspiracies, cryptic, spiritual, 
natural healing, and everything else there is to encounter. Everything we think is not real, just might be real. Welcome to My Third Eye. So really, if you want your magic to work, you just have to embrace the devil and do whatever you're going to do. That's what it comes down to. But the way I explain the bands that I worked with, if you were famous previous to 1987, then I may have gone to your concerts, but I didn't sign you. You were already famous. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another episode of my third eye uh thank you for uh supporting me and the show and talk at the tavern over on the patreon please go sign up for the patreon you know just go over there it's five bucks a month i'm doing a little extra here and there throwing out some bonus episodes not just talk at the tavern so if you have any ideas on, on different things that you'd like to see over on patreon you know hit me up uh get me get a hold of me on uh, IG or, or email me uh, mythirdipod at gmail.com everything's in my link tree uh, especially curcumin uh, hit up Kelly Fish Jizzle on, on Instagram to get the best prices also uh, this episode has been um, a long awaited I, I, I've been I, I've had this one recorded for a little while like like most but I could not wait to get this one out. I, I, when I first started my podcast, I really wanted to talk to this, this man. Very interesting guy. His name is Zachary King, and his story is fascinating, but dark. So I, I'm going to give you a little bit of a warning. Um, it, does, it does turn out light, but there are some dark, dark uh, episodes in his story of being uh, a satanic eye wizard. So... Having said that, uh, I'm, I'm going to not run as long on an intro uh, for this one, but I will say, again, you know, go follow me on, on Instagram, hit up the YouTube, you know, keep subscribing. We're almost at 500. I can't, I can't thank you enough. Uh, it means a lot. Uh, hit me up on, on TikTok. I, everybody knows Ghost has a raging TikTok addiction, and uh, My Third Eye Podcast now has its own official TikTok account. So I haven't posted much there yet, but uh, it'll grow. And, you know, it's, it's hard to keep up with all the socials and, and all these different platforms like Telegram and what have you. I used to be heavy on Telegram and, and now not so much anymore, but you know, we'll get there. And again, I can't stress enough. Just go over to Patreon, Hit, you know, shoot me a couple bucks a month. It's, it's not much. Uh, you, you can also cash at me if you want to buy me a coffee or a beer. You know, everybody knows Ghost likes to drink a beer now and again. You know, that's why he does talk at the tap. So, uh, like I said, cash at me. Everything's in my link tree. I got merch. Hit that button. You know, it's a, it's something for now. Uh, hopefully down the road, it'll, it'll morph into something different where I can do, have more control of the merchandise. But I will say that the quality is good. I, I bought one of the bucket hats, you know, uh, just to see what the quality would be. And, uh, can't, can't, can't lie. It's, it's good quality. Uh, probably one of the better quality bucket hats I've, I've had in, in my lifetime. So, uh, having said that, I'm going to shut up and again, thank you. Uh, I can't thank you enough. If you've had an experience, anything, I don't care what the topic is. You can come on and we'll talk. 
you know, I, I, I'm always down. And the further fetched it may sound, the, the better. You know, I don't care. I, this is a judgment free zone. You have full freedom of speech. You know, you can say whatever you want. And again, hit up Apple iTunes, leave me a five star rating and review. Uh, those go a long way and share the episodes just share them with a friend share them with a family you know be annoying i don't care you know get just share 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 eventually one day we'll be like you know what i'm, I'm, I'm gonna check out what so-and-so said and hopefully you know they like the content and you know the information that we put out over here at my third eye podcast so having said that i'm finally now going to shut up and enjoy the episode Welcome back to uh, another episode of My Third Eye. Uh, today, I have a very special guest. Uh, you may have heard him on um, the Confessionals podcast if you listen to Tony Merkel's show. Uh, it was back in the, the uh, 60s episodes. Um, I think it might have been episode 62 or 63. But uh, I'm bringing you uh, Zachary King, who is an ex-Satanic high priest. And he's going to share his story of what he went through going into that journey and what happened coming out of that journey and where he might be today. So I will turn this over to Zach and let him tell you where you can find him. Uh, I know he's on YouTube and uh, if you want to get a hold of him. So Zach, how are you? I'm good. How are you doing? I'm doing very good. What do I call you? Uh, ghost. 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 Yep. Okay. Yeah. Cause that's a, when, when you first signed your, your email like that, I said, is that the rock band ghost? <laughs> no. <laughs> I, I heard that and I'm like, I had to look him up and I'm like, oh, okay, <laughs> that's ghost. <laughs> I, I still want to go see them. I, I had the opportunity a couple of years ago and it fell through. Ah, nice. So, yeah, my one friend in Canada, he, he, he really likes them. I, I heard they've got a, a new, a new album out and, and it's literally a new album. They put it out on vinyl. Oh, wow. So yeah, my friend Alex, she's uh, the editor of my book. She she went out and got it. So yeah. I heard it was pretty cool. You don't hear so, uh, bands putting things out on vinyl much anymore. Right, right. So uh, you just gave a shout out to Tony Merkel. That yes. was a good. That was a good podcast. Yes, I I, I listened to that episode uh, personally two times, once or twice with my wife, and then. Uh, maybe another time with another friend. So that was one of my favorite episodes, actually. Yeah, I have a lot of people email me that have listened to that show. Awesome. So yeah, I, don't, I don't know what his listenership is, but I've, I've received a lot of uh, feedback from it. Uh, he's got quite the, quite the many listeners. So he, he's a pretty big show. He actually just, uh, he's doing it full time now. He doesn't even... Uh, drive truck anymore and i believe okay. him and his family are moving down to tennessee all right i was uh driving through tennessee a few years ago and they have a highway a stretch of highway that i guess got hit by an, an earthquake or something mm -hmm. and so suddenly you'll notice that cars in the distance just disappear and then oh, wow. they and then they reappear. <laughs> You're like, <laughs> how, what? Did I take drugs or something while I was driving? Uh, 
somebody smoke, did I smoke a bong and forget about it? <laughs> right. <laughs> well, how is this happening? And then when you get up there, there's like these major dips in the road that just suddenly they're there. Oh, and so you dip, you dip down into this road, drive for 20 or 30 feet, and then you pop back up. Oh, wow. And that's crazy. It's crazy when you see it from a distance. And then it's crazier when you go, go into it. <laughs> you know, it's I like, bet. Don't you think they should have fixed this by now? Uh, they don't they don't have enough taxpayer money. I'm sure they don't. <laughs> <laughs> Somebody um, does. Yeah. Didn't go to the road. Nope. So earlier in your intro, you called me a high priest, former high priest. Yes. I, I was a high wizard. High wizard. I'm sorry. My bad. The the difference, um, I'm Catholic, so the for those that don't know the hierarchy of the Catholic Church, uh, a sacristan is somebody, the sacristan, the sacristy is where the priest gets ready to come out and say the homily or the sermon. Okay. So that, that's, uh, the sacristan is the person that helps the priest get dressed and puts on all his regalia and whatever it is he's going to wear. Okay. The high priest in my old coven had that authority. So a okay. high priest would be the equivalent of a priest in so in 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 a in a satanic coven where the high priest is the top position then that's the equivalent of a priest in a catholic church right in my coven a high priest didn't have any authority so he would be like a sacristan he's the person that gets the priest ready to come out and do something okay the high wizard is the equivalent of a cardinal a cardinal is the next step from being pope, but in my coven, the high the the high wizard is never going to be pope. Okay. So he's at the top of his game, but he's not at the top of the game. Gotcha. You know, there are people above him, and he can never achieve that level, but he's at the top of his level. I hope I made that more clear and not less clear. Yeah, no, that, that makes perfect sense. I, I forgive me for saying high priest. I don't even know why I was saying high priest. Cause I, it, I knew you were a high wizard at one point, you know what I mean? I, I fumbled my words, but I apologize, but you know, you cleared everything up. So that that's always good. I think another, another thing to clear up, but I'm not necessarily certain that this is the format, but why not? We're here. Um, a lot of people refer to me as having worked for the church of Satan. But I think there's two references for the Church of Satan. There's the actual church that's the Church of Satan that was started by Anton LaVey, mm -hmm. you know, 1966 or whatever it was. And then a lot of Christians and Catholics refer to if you do things that are pagan or Wiccan or Satanic, they lump it all into the Church of Satan. Gotcha. Like an overall... You know, it's just an umbrella of the Church of Satan, not the actual Church of Satan. Right. And for some people, that's very confusing. And then other people, I would think that you, for example, would get it. Mm -hmm. um, so I didn't work for the actual Anton LaVey's Church of Satan, but I did work for the Church of Satan as the, the umbrella of it. Gotcha. And the name of my coven was the World Church of Satan also called Satan's World Church. 
and you won't find it online. As far as I know, you won't find it anywhere. Mm. You know, it's like a top secret. It's like trying to find the name of Hillary Clinton's satanic coven. Right. You know, it, it's very hard to find the name of it. find it listed anywhere. So are you actually admitting that she is in a satanic coven? Because, you know, that floats around a lot with, uh, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like different conspiracy podcasts and what have you. And, and, and some, some people use it, you know, loosely, you know, out of the side of their mouth or cheeky or whatever. Right. But, uh, you know, I, I, I am very familiar with your, your, your story and you do mention uh, her at some point. Um, so is there, is there truth behind that? Yes, she belongs to a satanic coven that's in Los Angeles. Mm. And I know that it has two names. It's known as the cult. And, and that the cult is the actual name of it. But it's known as the cult. And it's also known as the black something or something black. And I've only heard the reference to the name like one time. Okay, But it's got a lot of famous members in it. Um, that coven has, I think, Axl Rose. Anthony Kiedis, um, two or three members of KISS. It's a couple of famous artists in it. Wow. And Hillary Clinton. Didn't her uh, bodyguard or chauffeur came out for a while, like in 2015 or 16, to give some interviews? I think so. Um, I'd have to... Go back and and look for him, but something does remind me or ring a bell that that one of her bot because he came out. I mean, he was he was pretty much saying how much of a, a piece of crap she was. You know what I mean? Like she she right. treats everybody so horribly and this and that and amongst some other things. But yeah, I I do I do remember that. I just don't. It's not fresh in my head, if you know what I mean. She's got quite the among, among conspiracy theory type shows. She's got the quite the crappy reputation. Mm, big time. It, it's hard to believe how many Democrats embrace her as, you know, she's the savior of their movement, you know, and then you listen to, you know, of the things that they say, uh, see, satanic coven member, pedophile, uh, cannibal, mm-hmm. um, murderer. Yep. I mean, Anything else you can think of? Am I am I missing anything? Um, no, I think you hit them all. <laughs> um, I'm pretty sure Adrenochrome probably comes into that. Yeah. Although she's probably not just taking it; she's probably getting it. Mm. You know, she's probably tapping it at the source. Right. So you know, if you're involved in all that other stuff, you know, it's just a hop, skip, and a jump away from tapping your own Adrenochrome. Oh, absolutely. I mean, if you're if you're into pedophilia and child trafficking and, and what have you, and, and you're as high in government or even world politics as, as her and her, her husband, uh, if it is really her husband and, you know, they, they just play one on TV, who knows? That That's another right. con- conspiracy theory. As right. Well. Right. But, uh, you know, it w- wouldn't surprise me if she's doing the rituals and, and like you said, tap, tapping it at, at the source. I told you this, this interview was going to be fun. Oh yeah. <laughs> uh, with that coven in, in LA, uh, is there any other major politicians or is that something you don't really want to hit on or, 
Um, the, the names that I dropped are the ones that I've heard. Okay. You know, I was I, just wondering if Nancy Pelosi fit in there somewhere. She seems like she would belong to something like that. She has that witchy vibe about her. Mm -hmm. But I don't have any proof of that. I didn't ever see her at something like that. Right. Um, you know, there's a Bohemian Grove for women. Oh, really? It's not in the same place. And I've never been. I've seen it referenced. And I've heard about it referenced. And I've been invited to go. And I didn't have the time to go. Hmm. So I don't know where it is. But, you know, if you've got a, a producer in the back wing someplace that has a, a laptop and the internet, they should be able to look it up. Yeah. I'll have and, to check on that once we're done because I'm my own producer. <laughs> yeah, you've got that set up. I've just about got that. Yeah. I, I have a person here in the background, but um, she's not a producer. She just comes in and helps me a couple of days a week. Gotcha. All right. So am I supposed to just take the ball and run with it or what are we doing here? Absolutely. You take you take it and you run and and when whenever uh, you you want to pause or whatever? Or I, I might jump in with a question, but uh, yeah, take it away. Yeah, the, your story is super fascinating and you know awe inspiring, and I don't know, I I love I love listening to it on on the confessionals. So I'm I'm just super uh, honored to have you on my show. So, all right, and how long have I got? How long is the show? Uh, you're my only guest today, so you can take as long as you want. Okay. All right. Well, you know, I grew up in the 70s and I was born in 66. Probably I was born the same year that Anton LaVey's church started. Mm. That might tell you something. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's a curse. Yeah. Um, so when I was 10 years old, it was 1976. And by the time I was 10 years old, I had seen every scary movie that existed up until that point. And I love those movies. I loved um, not just, you know, I mean, I loved Creature from the Black Lagoon and all the Bela Lugosi movies. You know, I love those things, but I loved movies that had magic. You know, if you could do magic in it, I wanted to do that. And if it was a movie that had like something satanic in it, I just thought that was cool. You know, I was grown, I grew up Baptist and they taught us in the Baptist church that Jesus died on the cross 2000 years ago and he defeated the devil then. And the devil is no threat to us now. Uh, he can't hurt any of us. If you're a Christian, you're protected. And that Satan was scared of the Baptist church. Now, the odd thing about that statement is that there's a book in the Bible where Satan attacks God on his own turf. Right. In heaven. In heaven. That's mm -hmm. some balls there. Right. And it's like, my balls are so big, I'm going to attack the person that made me what I am on his turf, in his house. And he had his ass handed to him by St. Michael. <laughs> right. And, uh, and kicked out of heaven. Now, it would seem to me 
that if the devil is not afraid of God, why would he be afraid of the Baptist church? You got me because yeah. most people that uh, do get saved and, and give their you know life to Christ, usually um, more often than not, they're the ones usually attacked more from the you know spirit realm than people that that aren't you know what i mean like you know you, well, you you hear stories and you know they're like well i i turned my life to god why am i well he doesn't like him and like you right. said he had big enough balls to go at him in his own home he's not scared to come at you now you know he, he wants to get him out of you you know right you know well he doesn't attack non-christians because they're already close to the devil right there's no reason to attack them they're like friends you know even the ones that don't think they're satanic you know it, it's like jesus says if you're not for us you're against us you know so either you're with god or you're not and those that are not he's got no reason to attack them you know he's already sucked them in with new age religions or tarot cards or psychics or what you know ghost huntings or whatever it is that he can use to get you away i mean even if you look at the people that are so into ufos most of them don't go to church right you know that's their church ufology is their church so you know and and he's basically already got them so I'm growing up Baptist, you know, and I'm hearing things like that. And my first day of school in the fifth grade, you know, I'm 10 years old. And this kid says, hey, meet me in the bathroom at the first break. Okay. That little naive kid. No one's ever told me not to do something like that. So sure, let's do that. So the first break, it's 1020 in the morning. And I walk in the bathroom and there's like 49 other kids in there, boys and girls just milling around. And they tell us that we're going to turn out the lights, which this was a genius system, by the way. This, this impressed me right off the bat because we were in a brand new building and they had this new light system and only a teacher could come in there and turn on the lights because it took a special key. Mm -hmm. And this kid figured out that if you stick a paper clip in there, you can turn the light on and off. And it was like, oh, he's a genius. So, 10 years old, you know, no internet back then. So, you know, we're not as bright as the kids now. Right. So, um, we're going to turn out the light. We're going to chant a phrase into the mirror. And if you do it right, the spirit of a burn victim will show up in the mirror. Now, it's the Bloody Mary game for, I'm sure most of your audience knows about the game. Mm -hmm. And, you know, for those that really know about the game, if you go to the Halloween store, which is owned by Spencer's, comes out every year at Halloween. It's open for a couple of months. They sell the Bloody Mary mirror in there. It's like $125. Oh, you wow. push a button, and at first you see your face, and then you push a button, and you hear the chant, and then the scary face appears off in the distance and comes at you super fast and ends up like right in front of your face in the mirror with a hideous scream mm. you know it's designed for you to put it like on your front porch when the kids come up for trick-or-treating right so um we're going to do this chant now it turns out that this is actually a spell and that's not the spirit of a burn victim it's a demon but 
we don't know any of this stuff at that point. You know, we turned out the lights, we did the chant, face appears, and 49 kids run screaming out of the bathroom. Mm. It's like a mad dash to get out the door. Now, one child, we'll call him an idiot, and we can say he's an idiot because it was me, <laughs> stayed there and thought, this is the coolest thing ever. I said this phrase. We said it 11 times, and this face appeared. I made that happen. Now, a little sidebar here. This is how dumb I am as a kid. I don't realize that if I'm seeing it in the mirror, it's standing next to me. Oh, yeah. It's in the mirror. It's a reflection standing next to me. But I'm too dumb to realize that. You know, this is something you realize when you're older looking back. It's like, oh, my gosh. You know, it's like to, to make a spell happen, to make it real, to make, <clears throat> to make you actualize your spell, you need repetition, intention, and demonic presence. So if your spell works, congratulations, you have a demon present. Mm. If it doesn't work, you don't have a demon present. Well, I obviously, the demon was present. It was standing next to me, which meant it was with all 50 of us kids. And then it lost 49 of them. And the dumbest one stayed in the room. <laughs> so we started doing that like every day. And then eventually notes got sent home because two kids got really badly hurt. In their attempt to flee, they got trampled by the other students. Mm. And I'm talking like broken arm, broken leg hurt. And so the school didn't want a bunch of lawsuits. So they sent notes home that said, if your child is caught playing this game, they'll be suspended for three days. I had to take that note home to my dad. And my dad had been a sniper in the Marines back in 1950. And he was kind of uh, rough and tough. And he's like five, nine. And oh my gosh, at one point, he was probably over 300 pounds. And, uh, you know, me being a tiny kid, small for my age, he was a huge mountain of a man and very gruff and usually had a cigar hanging out of his mouth. And, you know, my mom wouldn't let him smoke it in the house, but it was always in his mouth. And uh, I had to come into the den, you know, at dinner time, and give my dad the note and stand there and wait for him to read it, sign it, and give it back to me. And in his normal loving tone, he said, have you been playing this game? Being terrified of my dad as I was, I told him the truth. No. Right. So uh, I took the note, took it back to school the next day, and then, you know, kids were still playing it in the bathroom at school. But, you know, if I was suspended for three days, I wouldn't be here to tell you this story now. So I started playing the game at home. Let's just bring the danger right in the house. <laughs> so, yeah, not the smartest tool, remember. So, but at school, I played it once a day. Now that I'm at home, I get up in the morning play the game, go to the bathroom, play the game, wash my hands, play the game, brush my teeth, play the game, wash out my mouth, play the game, dry off, towel off, get ready to go out, play the game one more time, go out, have breakfast, come back in, play the game, brush my teeth, play the game again, leave for school. When I get home from school, my brother's home, no one else is home, 
I'm going to play the game 25 times before I eat. After I eat, I'm going to play the game another 25 times. I'm going to go in and take a bath. By the time I've gone to bed at night, I've played the game at least 50 times that day, every day. Wow. Every time I play it, I see the face. I'm feeling on top of the world because all I got to do is chant a phrase in the mirror a certain number of times, and they get this thing shows up every single time. Dumb as I am, though, again, not realizing 50 times a day, I've got a demon standing right next to me. Hmm. So I'm, uh, I'm doing that. And then at the same time as that, I'm playing Dungeons and Dragons. And I am always the wizard or the sorcerer in that. You know, and magic works there. But I mean, come on. It, to make your magic spell work, you know, all you've got to do is decide, I want light in the cave. I need to roll a 16 or higher with this 20-sided die. And if I get it, bam, your magic trick works. That's not magic. Right. You know, but in the game, it feels like it is. I mean, it, we, we basically did LARPing in a, in a small room because we would come in dressed in the costumes of our character and you would act out every scene in that small room. If we would have known back then that you could do LARPing out in a big field with, you know, everything set up the way they do it now, mm -hmm. we'd have totally been into that. Oh, yeah. And I, I'm missing a foot now and I'm blind. If I could do LARPing in a wheelchair, I would so be into it. It oh, just yeah. seems, like, it seems like a lot of fun. <laughs> so... I'm doing, I'm doing all this. And then it finally just finally, it, it just kind of clicks one day that I wonder if I could do magic in real life. You know, my, my Baptist preacher told me that magic wasn't real. You couldn't really do it. And my parents said the same thing that magic is fake. It's just theatrics and stuff that happens in movies. Somehow my Baptist preacher and my parents had missed 33 verses in the Bible where God tells you not to do magical things. Like, why would God tell you not to do something if it was impossible to do it? Right. Like, if you couldn't lie, thou shalt not die would not be in the Ten Commandments. If it was impossible to kill somebody, thou shalt not kill wouldn't be in the Ten Commandments. So if it was impossible to do magic stuff, why would God say don't do it? Mm -hmm. But apparently my Baptist preacher and my parents hadn't read all those verses. So they're telling me that, and I'm thinking, you know, I've already proven my parents wrong before and other stuff. Maybe this is one of those times. Maybe magic does work, and they don't know about it. Maybe this is something I could really do. So I set about to do a magic spell, but I, I wanted to research them because what do I want out of life? Well, I don't like that pop quiz I get every Friday. But I could prepare more for that. I don't want to hurt that teacher. I don't like PE. I'm a little fat, nerdy kid. I don't really want uh, to hurt the PE coach either. That's his job. But I would like some cash. I mean, my parents have a really big house. And they make really good money. But, yeah, and they don't give me everything I want. They give me everything I need. I don't need anything. Right. But I would like to have the kiss alive too. 
album. I would like to have more candy hidden in my room so my parents don't find it. You know, there's just stuff I'd like to have. So I set about to do a spell for money and I did it on a Friday. Saturday is my day. So I work for my dad for the first couple of hours and then the day is mine. And I went out and I found a can of tennis balls with a $5 bill in it. Now this is 1976. Comic books are 15 to 20 cents. Candy bars are 15 to 20 cents. And penny candy is indeed a penny. Penny candy is now 25 to 50 cents. That's crazy. (laughs) But my dad, my dad told me when he was a kid, it was 10 pieces of candy for a penny. Oh, wow. And then when I come along, it's a penny a piece. I thought ripped off. (laughs) Now I'd really feel ripped off if I was a kid. So, uh, especially, you know, like now, you know, like my dad would say, here's a penny, go buy yourself some candy. I'm going to have to save, you know, a hundred of these to get four pieces. Right. So um, the next Friday, I do it again. And Saturday, I went out and I went playing. I found a $10 bill on the side of the road. I thought eight days, $15, I can nickel and dime my way to being a millionaire. Mm-hmm. But this still could have been a coincidence. So I came up with this genius plan. I don't know what this thing is in the mirror that I keep generating when I say this phrase, but I'm going to do my magic spell in the bathroom at home. And when the face appears, I'm going to make sure it knows I'm doing a spell for money. And then I'm going to finish the spell for money. And I did that face appeared and I went through the whole thing and showed it money and talked to it and told it what I needed. And then I finished my spell. And the next day I went out and I was playing and I was in this large uh, unpaved parking lot next to U.S. Sugar. U.S. Sugar was based in our town. And I saw what looked like Monopoly money rolled up tight in rubber bands. And I unrolled that and put it in my pocket. And then later that night, I'm in bed. Everybody's in bed asleep. I'm sitting in my bed with a sheet up over my head and a flashlight in my mouth, unraveling my my treasure. And when I unraveled everything, it looked like Monopoly money because I'd never seen a $100 bill. Mm. And when I unraveled all of them, I had 10 $100 bills. So I'm 10 years old, worth $1,000. For those of you that don't know, in 1976, that would be worth about $6,000 now. That's a lot and of it, money for a kid. And it, if you wait another couple of years with inflation going the way it is, it might be worth about $10,000. Right. But uh, yeah, I mean, imagine being 10 years old, having that kind of money, and your favorite items are dirt cheap. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I'm thinking I'm on top of the world. You know, in, in my child mentality, I'm thinking 220 days, I got a Lamborghini. Three years, of do, three years of doing this, and I'm a millionaire. Now, as I, I said in a talk recently, I was in Washington, D.C. Uh, about a month ago, and I spoke six times and I um, in Washington, Maryland, and West Virginia. And um, 
I said, I was thinking of this from a 10 year old's perspective. So I'm not thinking about, I got to get insurance on my Lamborghini. Could you imagine a teenager having to pay insurance on a Lamborghini? Be probably more than the, what the car's worth. More than the car's worth, it'd be insane. <laughs> yeah. um, also, there was a thought of, I got to get to the Lamborghini store. That would probably most likely the closest one to there would have been Miami. So Miami, Florida. Mm -hmm. So I got to get there though. My dad's going to have to take me to the Lamborghini store. I'm going to have to explain to my dad how I got $200,000. I'm going to have to have it in cash because I can't put $200,000 in the bank. My dad is going to have to drive my Lamborghini back home. My dad drives like an old man. So as much as I am proud of my Lamborghini, I'm going to have to scoot way down in the seat because my dad's going to be driving this car that goes 200 miles an hour, 30 miles an hour all the way home. Right. You know, he's going to pop it into first gear and leave it there. So, but I'm not thinking of any of those issues. I'm just thinking this is what I can do. So I'm doing magic pretty much every day and usually for just silly stuff, but everything I do it for works. And I mean, no matter what, I mean, even I'm not prepared for the pop test on Friday, I'm going to do a spell so I don't have to take it. And then suddenly we go in and we've got a substitute teacher that day. No pop test, you know, could have been a coincidence. Or it could have been magic, you know, but I'm not taking credit for it because I don't want anyone to know that I'm doing this stuff. I just want everybody to think I've got good fortune. Positive stuff is constantly happening to me. You know, sometimes I did it, sometimes I didn't. Most of the time, it took me a long time to run out of that money. I had that money for probably a couple of years. And, you know, I just always had stuff that I wanted. <laughs> I had a closet in my bedroom that was bigger than some people's bedrooms. And so it was always full. My parents had it stocked full of clothes. It didn't just have my clothes. It had some of their clothes in it because my closet was bigger than anyone else's closet in the house. And so there was shoes that went from one side to the other. So every once in a while, I would throw away a pair of shoes that I didn't like that was in there and replace it with a pair of shoes that I thought was really cool. And my parents didn't even notice, you know, they're like, you know, well, you know, one of us must've bought them or he bought them at Goodwill or something like that. They didn't know that I had my own treasure trove of cash. When I was 11 years old, I became the victim of a sexual assault at school at the hands of a female teacher. Now, back when that happened to me, you never heard about it anywhere. No. Now it's like on the news every week. You know, it's like every week there's a different teacher that gets arrested for one or two students or the entire classroom or, you know, or whatever. I mean, the last crazy one was like a couple of months ago, you know, and she's like scoring boys left and right. Right. You know, and people are like, oh, those kids are so lucky. And it's like, no, they're not. Mm -mm. I was the victim of that when I was 11. That's not luck. That's uh, that's bad luck. It's extremely bad. It's a horrible situation. Um, I had not been taught anything about sex when I was a kid. And 
you know, it was a horrible, you know, I, I didn't know what was going on. I, I knew that this isn't supposed to be happening. I don't think. Right. Like, I've never been warned against this, but this doesn't feel right. And I'm in, I'm in the boys bathroom. I hear a noise in there. When I walk in, I got a note from class so I could go to the bathroom. It's in the handicap stall. So I walk all the way down there. I look underneath. I don't see any feet under the stalls. So I walk down there and the door is not latched. And I open it and there's a woman sitting on the toilet with her feet pulled up off the floor and her feet folded on the seat underneath her, basically. Her skirt is up around her waist. She's masturbating. But I don't know that's what she's doing. I also have never seen a vagina and had no idea what that was. Right. She didn't have a penis. And I was just shocked by that. And so this is what a girl has, apparently. But I'm 11 years old. This isn't computing. Nothing she's doing is making any sense to me. Like, to me, it looks like she has a wound and she's sticking her fingers in it. Right. And I'm like, just, I, I don't know if she's okay or is she wounded? Is something wrong? And then she has me step more in and lock the door behind me. And I do that. And then she calls me over to where she's at, undoes my pants and pulls them down, uh, services me orally, and then has me lay on the floor and she gets on top of me. And this whole time, I'm like, I'm, I don't know. Is this okay? Am I doing this right? Um, what are you doing? You know, and she just tells me to be quiet. And then when she's done and I'm done, then, you know, she makes sure that I'm okay. She cleans me up, pulls my pants up. We're all done. And then I forgot to go to the bathroom and then I went back to class and I still had to go to the bathroom. But now there's nothing I can do till the class gets out. Plus I was down there for over a half an hour. So when I come back, teacher makes fun of me in front of the whole class. You know, and the whole class laughs at me for, you know, taking so long. And uh, her saying something about, you must add crazy diarrhea or something like that. And uh, so then that was so traumatizing to me. But she had told me that if I told anybody, I'd be expelled from school. It was my idea and I wanted to do it. If I told my parents, I'd be dis disinherited or kicked out of the family. And that I would probably end up going to prison. Mm. So, and I'm 11 years old. I'm thinking she's a teacher. She's not lying. Right. You know, so I can't tell anybody. I've got nobody I can tell. And I already found out from a previous experience that if you tell the counselor, they tell your parents. Mm. So I can't tell the, camp, the counselor. I can't tell any of the teachers. I can't tell my parents. If I tell the cops, I'm the one that's going to go to prison. So I've got nothing I can do. There's no one I can tell. So I dive further into magic because that makes me feel like I'm 10 foot tall and bulletproof on the top of the world. So I dive further into that. Now, going back to when I was 10, we used to play D&D &D all the time. There was this kid that used to play D&D &D with us. And then one day he stopped playing D&D &D with us and he stopped coming to school. 
So we just assumed that he moved. I mean, he wasn't somebody, we never went over to his house and did anything. So we didn't know where he lived. We just never saw him again. So he moved. Okay, well, I mean, that happens. People move. So then when I was 12, he came back. And we asked him, like, hey, where did you move to? Oh, he didn't move. He was being homeschooled. And he just stopped doing all the things that he used to do with all of his outside friends. It's like, so, like, you were here. You just didn't play with us anymore? You know, it's like we kind of felt insulted by it. You know, and he was like, well, I was having a lot of fun with this group I was hanging out with. And I was having more fun there than I was with you guys. So I just stopped hanging out with you guys. You know, it's like, well, why are you back now? Did they leave you? He was like, no, they just thought that I should come back and invite you guys to join us. So he tells us about this group being they play D&D campaigns every weekend, but they also believe magic is real. Well, I know magic's real. So, all right, I'm going to go check them out. So, you know, my house, we have like a 25-inch TV. You know, and it's one of those console things that sits on the floor. So, I mean, people today, anybody that's listening to your audience that's 25 or younger is probably like a what? Yeah. <laughs> I remember having those TVs. It's like a big wooden box with a big screen stuck in the middle of it. You know, and uh, like my parents also had the the matching um, console that was next to it. That was about six or eight feet long, had a speaker on either side built into the box. And then in the middle of it <coughs> was a big case that held record albums and then a turntable and an eight track player. And that thing got hella loud. You could play that thing so loud you could hear it outside. And uh, I can't imagine what my parents paid for all that back then because that stuff was really expensive. You know, it's like we had a VCR back in the day that cost $400. Mm -hmm. you know, I can, if you can find one at Goodwill, they're two bucks. Right. Um, you know, also like when the, the first DVD player came out, you know, that was super expensive. And now those things are, you know, you can get a VCP for what, $12, $15 at Walmart. Yeah, cheap. Yeah. So, um, but, you know, we, we've got this, this this TV. And at this other place, though, they've got a 50-inch projection screen. You know, and I'm like, whoa, I've never seen a TV like that before. You know, or at my house, you can watch a G-rated movie or a PG-rated movie if it's been vetted by my dad. But over there... Did you know that they have R-rated movies? Now, at 11 years old, I didn't know there were R-rated movies. I just knew there were movies at the theater that I couldn't go see. Right. I didn't know why. I mean, I just assumed there was content in them I wasn't supposed to see, but I didn't know what that content was. I didn't know that there was extreme violence you could see in a movie or there was sexual content you could see. But speaking of sexual content, I found out that there were X-rated movies. Mm. And that there were triple X-rated movies. And that there were triple X-rated movies with kids in it my age. And that what happened to me when I was 11 was atrocious. And that should have never happened to a child of any age right. that didn't want it to. But now, if somebody wants to do something 
I can say no. Anybody that I ask that I want to do something with can't tell me no. If I want to do it, I can do it. And if I want to be in these movies, I can do that too. And they'll make me famous. So not knowing any better, I was in child pornography from 12 to 16 and a half. So I'm being re-victimized for four and a half years. But at the time that it's happening, I'm thinking I'm the luckiest kid in the world. You know, like in the seventh grade, 12 years old, all the boys are bragging about all the sex they're having. None of them are having sex. Right. You know, they're all just who can come up with a better lie. You know, I've got to top this person's story. That person has to top this person's story. You know, it's like all these lies, just one on top of the other, you know, and you can easily catch a kid in the lie about sex. Ask him that story that he told you three weeks ago. Ask him about the details now, because if you really had that sex, he'd remember it clear as a bell because come on, what 12 year old is getting laid? Exactly. But three weeks later, he doesn't remember the details of what he said. So, you know, he's not telling the truth. I'm not bragging about it because I'm really doing it. And I don't want to get caught. You know, I'm thinking I'm the luckiest kid in the world. It wasn't until a few years after that stopped that I realized, wait a minute. I had a bunch of pedophiles filming me. I had pedophiles having sex with me because I had sex with adults and kids. Even the kids were all twisted as well. I mean, they couldn't help it. They were victims. Right. But. You know, like I got taught how to have sex by three girls, three sisters. When I started, one was eight, one was 11, and one was 14. I was 12 years old. The eight-year-old had been in porn since she was three. All of them had been in porn since they were three. The 14-year-old, I knew her for like two more years, and then she ran away from home. All three of these girls were in the same satanic coven I was in. And the older one, I guess, finally got tired of being an abuse victim for 15 years and ran away. You know, or something like, you know, 14 years, maybe. And she ran away when she was 16, and she'd been doing it since she was three, so 13 years. You know, she got a boyfriend and left. And I never heard from her again. But I hope she got away. So, um... And I, I was I was enjoying like everything I was doing. I found out the best thing to do after you eat a big meal is smoke a cigarette. Mm. You know, if you wanted to feel important, you know, drink like uh, a beer while smoking a cigar when you're watching the football game. Right. You know, um, you know, if you're gonna have a big meal but you're not sure if you can eat it all, smoke a joint first. Suddenly you've got the munchies and you can eat everything. Mm-hmm. You know, um, acid is a lot of fun, but you want to have even more fun than that? Take a tab of acid and then drop some MDMA at the same time. Mm. Spaced a little bit apart and, you know, experience that. You know, and that became like one of my favorite things to do. It's called candy flipping. And, um, you know, I was just having all kinds of fun. and then. You know, at my house, my mom would 
give you three meals a day and a snack if she's in a good mood. But at this place, you could live on Snicker bars and potato chips all day, have pizza and burgers whenever you want. You know, in the 18 years that I lived at home, we had a pizza probably five times in, in 18 years. It was not a favorite at our house. Gotcha. But over there, I could have it every night if I wanted. You know, whatever I wanted, I could have. And, you know, I associated my parents and God with the same. They were all the no police. You know, the Bible is a whole list of things you can't do. You know, there's nothing in there that says you can do this. Everything is thou, thou shalt not. My parents were also the no police. Anything I wanted to do, the answer was no. Now, my dad could come into the, the room or the house or whatever and say, we're going to do this tonight. Heaven forbid you said no. You were punished. Right. Dad, you know, it's like there's a new movie coming on the theater on Friday. Can I go see it? No. The Moody Blues are coming Thursday night. Can I go? No. This is happening. Can I? No. Dad, no. Eventually, you just look at my dad. No. <laughs> so, uh, you know, but over there, anything I want to do, you know, it's like this movie's coming out. Can we go see it? Yeah, we're going to go see that on Thursday night in the afternoon. But at night, we're going to go see the Moody Blues. You know, my first concert was Blue Oyster Cult opening for Kiss. 1978, West Palm Beach Auditorium, also nicknamed the Leaky Teepee because it's shaped like a teepee, and when it rains outside, it rains inside. Gotcha. <laughs> so really cool. I mean, seeing Kiss at 12 years old, that was like a religious experience. Oh, I bet. So, I mean, original four members, smoke, lights, mirrors, explosions. It was a lot of fun. So I'm having, I'm having a grand experience. But this kid came up to me one day and he goes, you know, you're in a satanic coven, right? And he took on running. And I laughed it off. But, you know, a couple of weeks later, <clears throat> it kind of got to me, you know, every day for two weeks, it was like, I'm in a satanic coven. But, it, you know, I was a big fan of the Adam West Batman series. And if you remember that show, when the bad guys were on the screen, the screen was tilted. Yes. Because they were crooked. And then when Batman shows up, he's upright, and the screen is upright again. And when you watch the old westerns, the bad guys were black, and the good guys were white. Mm -hmm. Even if it wasn't the full outfit, the cowboy hat was black, or the cowboy hat was white. And when the bad guy's on the screen, there's creepy music. And when the good guy's on the screen, there's uplifting music. So none of these things are clicking with me because I'm having fun. I'm eating what I want. I'm smoking what I want. I'm taking what I want. I'm drinking what I want. And I'm having sex every day. So I'm getting everything I want out of this. but I'm supposed to be in a satanic cover. I saw Rosemary's baby. It didn't seem all that positive. No. <laughs> so, yeah. So I went up to an adult that I trusted and I said, Hey, you're going to laugh, 
but I heard this was a satanic coven. Crazy, right? And he said, it is. And my heart sunk into my stomach. And I said, am I a member? No. Would you like to be? I see, now this is the moment of truth for me because so many people now ask me, why would you possibly want to join a satanic coven? I mean, clearly Satan's the bad guy. Well, when you're an adult and you have discernment, and now you've read the entire Bible, and now you're a Christian, Satan's the bad guy. But when you're 12 years old, and you're getting drunk whenever you want, and you're smoking weed every day, and you're smoking almost every day, and you're getting laid almost every day, and you're eating whatever you want every day, who's the bad guy again? Right. Especially when you're 12 years old. I mean, that. Right. you're in heaven. <laughs> right. I mean, you're the king of the My world. Parents. My parents are telling me everything I can't do and everything they're telling me not to do is everything this satanic coven is telling me is okay. Don't tell your parents and you won't get in trouble for it. You know, if you read the, the Ten Commandments, you'll see everything that you're doing is stuff you're not supposed to be doing that God says not to do. So God is the no police. My parents are the no police. Satan's supposed to be the bad guy, but he's telling me I can do everything. I think I'm going to walk over here with this guy with the pointed tail and the horns on his head because he's saying yes to everything I want to do. Right. Why wouldn't I? I was like, what do I have to do to join? You know, and he says, well, there's 13 steps to being a Satanist and you've done almost everything already. The only thing you have left to do, I had to slice my left thumb and bleed onto a document. It's a five-page document, and that has signature lines in three places. The blood of Jesus washes away all sin, but not mine. And I signed my name to that. Jesus died for everybody, but not me. And I signed my name to that. And the final page, I agree to sell my soul to the devil. And I signed that. Now, when I'm in my talks, I usually have an assistant sitting next to me. And I ask them what kind of car they drive. And whatever it is, I then ask the audience, how many people here can legally sell me their car? Nobody puts up their hand. And I say, why not? And they say, because it doesn't belong to us. And I said, that's the same reason you can't sell your soul. It doesn't belong to you. And you may have heard that God died for you. Jesus paid the ultimate price for your soul. You can't loan it, you can't lease it, and you certainly can't sell it. You may have heard Satan's a liar. I am here to confirm. If the devil tells you good morning, get a second opinion. <laughs> but at 12 years old, you are not the sharpest tack. You were more like the round marble in the box of tacks. Oh, yeah. You know, I officially signed the document when I was 13. And as you know, every 13-year-old knows it all. Oh, absolutely. I knew everything at 13. Right, right. Well, we are the most brilliant people in the world. We could have solved 
every economic crisis that's ever come along, every relationship issue, uh, you should have just made all of us president and the country would be fine. Right. Actually, the way the country is right now, I think there might be a 13-year-old in office. And I, I fully agree with you. <laughs> and 13's being generous. And that's my phone on mute. <laughs> it was muted, so it wouldn't do that during the during this interview. So anyway, um, I agreed, and I signed all these places. Uh, the meeting took place. You know, we, I would do sleepovers all the time, and so the sleepover is happening, and we have about. Our coven was pretty big. It had 120 to 150 members at any given time. Uh, there's a large meeting room. Uh, there's a bunch of women, um, a bunch of people in the room, and I get baptized. I'm in a white robe, signifying I'm losing my innocence, and I am baptized in a vat. It looks like a skull's head upside down. And it's um, a vat of human blood, pig's blood, and human urine, mm. full, full submersion. Sounds pleasant, right? No. <laughs> it makes you, want, makes you want to run out and try this today. Ooh. <laughs> Ooh. I didn't get any in my mouth. And uh, then you come out and you go into another room and you take a shower. And uh, you come out in a black robe with the cowl raised. And it signifies that you've been baptized into a world of darkness. You come into the room and you sit in a chair and they hand you a wheel with a crucifix in it. You spin the crucifix upside down, signifying human sacrifice. You put your arm, you put your hands on the arms of the cross. And they read off the document you read, you signed the night before. And then at the end of that, you break the arms downward. And that's denouncing Christ. And what you're left with looks like a peace sign. And then they take the document and put it with this and use twine to connect it all. And they say, this goes into a vault where it will stay for the rest of your life. And that your soul is tied to this document. And then I guess when you die, they burn this and signifying that it's burning up and you're about to be burning up. You know, or you're probably, if you died before, then you're burning before the document is. Right. And then you have a party. Do you have a question? Yeah. <clears throat> is that kind of maybe how the peace sign was, you know, introduced? It Could that be like a, you know, like a psyop, you know, hey, draw this, this is a peace sign. But really, um, by you drawing it and using it, you're you're denouncing Christ. Well... I don't know how long that ritual has been going on. And I, I honestly don't know how long that's been around. I know that the, the nuclear symbol is also the peace sign. You know, if you look at the, the nuclear, you know, it's a circle with the, the shapes in it. Mm -hmm. But if you stand back and look at it, it's a peace sign. Now, the peace sign was big back in the 60s. Right. I don't know, but I don't know the origin of it. Gotcha. 
No, I just, it, I, I don't know why that popped in my mind. It's just, you know, when you were describing it and you're like, you know, when you, when you break the arms down, it, you know, it looked like a peace sign. I was like, well, wait a minute. What if, you know, what if they just ran like this psyop on everybody and fooled them into, to, you know, writing this symbol down. And obviously, you know, you're familiar with magic. Uh, you write it down, everybody's using it and it, it's ultimately giving, you know, power to Satan or whatever. And people don't know because they're, they're not, they're not denying it. You know what I mean? So it is giving them power. Right. That's a possibility. I had, I had not thought of that. That's a good point. Yeah. Well, thank you. <laughs> sometimes, cool. sometimes they just come to me, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> You ever think maybe when that happens that's it's not you maybe it's your guardian angel or the holy spirit it probably it, yeah it, it, it's something other than me i know that yeah there's many many times i come up with a genius idea and i'm thinking that could have happened i'm 55 years old it took me 55 years to come up with that that right. was that couldn't have been me because <laughs> if it was me i would have thought of that earlier you know, it's got to be something godly. Right. Although I have noticed that sometimes you come up with a brilliant idea. And I tell people this. I say, if you come up with a brilliant idea, give God the credit and then do it. And if you do it, it blows up in your face. Claim it. And if you do it and it worked like a charm, give God the credit. What could the harm be? Maybe if you keep giving him the credit, he'll keep giving you brilliant ideas. Mm, true. You know, it's like, you're going to thank me for that? Here, let me give you another one. You know, if you're not going to thank him, he's like, screw you. Be happy with the one. Exactly. <laughs> you got one. Count it, count it that way. Yep. So I officially joined this coven when I'm 13. When I was 14, I was told that I was going to participate in a sex party. It was going to be all the male members, 12 to 15 years old. And a woman over the age of 18, purpose was to make her pregnant. And then she was going to have an abortion like eight or nine months later. Going to have a late term abortion. And I was like, cool. And then I went home and looked up the word abortion because I didn't know what it meant. Now, the only thing I knew about the word abortion is that when I was really young, my parents whispered it. So I knew it had to be a dirty word. Mm -hmm. Now, looking back, that is probably the dirtiest word I know. But, you know, back then, I had no idea what it was. I went to the library and I saw two books on the shelves, both about this thick, that had the word abortion in them, in the title. And, I, you know, I went to school on Cliff Notes. I am not reading three inches of a book to tell me what the word abortion means. Right. Have you know, and kids are not now like you don't have the internet. No, we didn't have the internet. So you know, I was like, how am I going to? That's just I'm telling a kid a story recently, and she said, why don't you just use your cell phone? Like we didn't have cell phones back then. We had a booth on the side of the road made of glass. Yeah, like a mini building that you stood in that everybody could see you on the phone. You know, and you're trapped in there. If a car is heading your way, you can't get out of that booth fast enough. No. You know, so you're going to die in a glass coffin. No, those doors didn't always open. Properly. Right. <laughs> right. Sometimes it didn't open. Yeah. And uh, yeah, so 
telling kids stories today is really fun because you can bring up things like no cell phones and we wouldn't have tablets back then. We didn't have the internet, you know, and they just look at you like you've got three heads. Like they don't know what you're saying. Mm-hmm. Like, you're, like you're not even speaking English at this point. So I went up to an adult, you know, and I said, Hey, you know, I heard I got to do an abortion later. I, I don't know what that means. And he goes, Oh, you're, you're killing a baby in the womb. <laughs> My jaw just dropped. I was like, is that legal? He goes, Oh yeah. In the womb, legal out of the womb murder. Okay. So I practiced with a ball of Play-Doh and an orange or an apple and a scalpel. Now the reality of the abortion is that we have, okay, we have three robes in my satanic coven and my, my coven was called, um, Ordi Templi Orianti, but it was the OTO. So it was called Toto. Wow. That, that is a synchro because um, I have a, a friend who runs the New York Patriot show and also the Occult Rejects show. Um, he, he is New York Patriot. He is a former uh, member of the OTO and his co-host okay. is a former member of the Golden Dawn. Okay. Wow. Yeah. The Occult Rejects show, that... You need to send me the link to that. I'd like to listen to that. Yeah, I will. Uh, they, they break down a lot of cool stuff. Uh, one of my favorite mini series that they did, uh, well, there was two. One was uh, they did a six or seven part series on uh, Quetzalcoatl, and then they did um, a five, five or six part series on the Scarlet Whore, um, which were really good. I mean, these guys really do their research and, you know, that try to explode, basically expose, you know, the world, you know, these secret orders and, and what they do and, right. and, you know, the sigil magic and everything that else that, you know, goes into it that people don't realize they're, they're seeing on a daily basis performed right in front of you on, on your black scrying mirror called a, a television, you know? Right. Or, um, how the people don't realize how many magic acts happen at the Super Bowl. Hmm. Yes. Every halftime show. Yep. You know, people, you know, it's like, I think one of the, there's one that happened in, it wasn't a halftime show. It was like an MTV music awards and it was uh, Katy Perry performing Dark Horse. Yes. And she does like an entire magic act there. And then at one of the Super Bowls, it was Madonna. Mm -hmm. Uh, And she was wearing the headdress and everything. And it was like, Wow, how many people are watching this that have no clue? Yeah. In fact, I think they actually they I forget it might have just been an episode, you know, not a not a miniseries, but they touched on that Katy Perry thing. Um actually they might have touched on it uh when they were doing the Scarlet Horror that she was representing the Scarlet Horror during during that um that performance or whatever. I mean, yeah, I'll definitely send you the link. Uh I, I think you'd really enjoy uh listening to their program i know new york patriot wanted to reach out to you and email you i don't know if he has yet um but i don't I, think I, I told him I, I gave him your email after i you know i found it and what have you but i you know i told him i said be, be patient you know he's his health isn't you know the greatest right now and uh but he he will get back to you and he's like okay but he gets real busy and sidetracked so i i don't know i'll i'll, I'll message him again after after we we get done and 
and what have you. And just to remind them, but yeah, I'll definitely send you the link to their, their podcast. How long has the, uh, the other one, the, the rejects, the, the occult rejects have been going, I think about close to a year now. Okay. They, it's funny cause they kind of met, they were both guests on a podcast and then Lux reached out to New York Patriot and was like, Hey, why don't we team up and do a podcast and expose all this? And then that's, then the occult rejects were born and, <laughs> and now they, now they're on to awesome things. So. Can you hand me one of my nephros? Yeah. So, um, I, I did the, uh, Thought she was just going to hand it to me. Sorry, <laughs> I'm just making gestures for no reason. Yeah. Um, Sorry. Now you're fine. I feel my blood sugar dropping too low. I'd rather not pass out while we're having the conversation. Yeah, that wouldn't be good. I don't want you to do that. <laughs> Excuse me for just a second. No, you're fine. Oh, these protein drinks are awesome. <laughs> so went over and had my sex party. And then, um, oh, going back to the robes. So we have the white robe is the initiate. You only wear it one time. And it's when you're showing that you're wanting to join the coven and you get them baptized and all that. Uh, the black robe is what most people wear. Mm-hmm. And it's a black robe with a red inverted pentagram on the chest. And then there's a red robe with a black inverted pentagram on the chest. And the red robe is, red, is worn by the magic practitioner, the person that practices the official magic of the coven. So everybody's allowed to practice magic. Okay. That's not a big deal. But you do have an official person if somebody comes to the coven and says they want to spell for whatever, and they're willing to pay the coven to get it done, then the guy in the red robe is the one that does it. Mm. And the guy in the red robe is better at his craft than everybody else. So I'd been doing magic for almost three years at the point that I joined. And they saw, and that's what I wanted was that red robe. So when I joined, it was like my first day. Like I had the black robe when I when I came out and I'm baptized world of darkness. And when I got off the chair to celebrate, because we're having a party after that to celebrate, you know, I'm a Satanist and you know, however many years, 95 years from now, I'm gonna die and go to hell. Um, but they had me come into another robe, another room, and they handed me the red robe. Hmm. Said, This is you from now on. So I got the red robe instantly. Wow. And so now, you know, it's like skip ahead a little bit, you know, about a year. And I'm in this room and we're about to perform this abortion. We have an abortion doctor and a nurse from an actual abortion facility. And we've got 13 high priests and priestesses. And they're surrounding the birthing table. We've got a woman laying there. So the 19-year-old girl that we made pregnant. 
and I'm being told it's a late-term abortion. I have no idea what that means, but, you know, okay. And my job is to get blood on my hands. I don't have to stab the baby or hurt the mother. You know, I don't have to do anything. I just have to get blood on my hands, and then I have to go do my hex. The, in that coven and in my second coven, the reason we would do abortions is because you know, you have different spells, different spells at different levels do different things. So the very basic spell, let's say, is the evil eye. And if you're looking at the evil eye in, in a list of curses, an evil eye basically is the equivalent of spitting on somebody. Okay. If you do another spell at another level, you've kicked them in the shins. If you do another spell at another level, you slap them in the face. You do another spell at another level, you've punched them in the gut. You do another spell at another level, you've kicked them in the balls. You know, you keep going up and up and up. When you get to a hex, you do an abortion. You give the devil what he wants, the devil will give you what you want. So that was the mentality. So you do an abortion, you do your hex, you've just dropped an atomic bomb on the person's head. Mm. You know, so you've gone from the evil eye, which is staring at somebody who's spitting on them, to dropping an atomic bomb on their head. You've taken the game up a notch. But they're definitely dead. You know, you have done whatever it is that you're trying to accomplish, you're going to accomplish. So <coughs> we do the, the abortion I watch the doctor. I get the blood on my hands. I watch the doctor do the late term. Um, it is probably the most disgusting thing I've ever seen in my life. And then from there, he ripped the baby to shreds, tore the pieces off and threw them out to, we had a bunch of naked women on the floor that were kneeling. They were writhing around. They were chanting our bodies ourselves. And when they were thrown the baby body parts, they ate them. They consumed oh. everything but the bones. And then they had, a, after that was done, then they had this giant orgy and sex orgy. And then pretty much the end, you know, that was my first abortion. Um, I did probably four or five more of those while I was a teenager. And when I was graduating from high school and I was going to be going off to college and I thought, I really want to find another, I can't just keep driving back to this satanic coven. I, I need to have a satanic coven where I'm going to be. But and this is before the internet and I'm not going to be able to just find it because they advertise it in the town square. So how am I going to find a satanic coven? Now, back then, if you wanted to find a satanic coven, some laundromats had message boards and you could find little three by five cards that sometimes advertised them. Hmm. Or if you could find an adult bookstore and find a local swingers magazine, they would advertise in the back of it. So that those were options. Okay. But I just, I just, I wanted more. I wanted, you know, those people that advertise in swingers magazines were a little different. Mm. And I wasn't looking for that kind of different. Right. You know, so 
I contacted, you know, I, I went to school. I went to my, my first day of school was a Wednesday. And that was the day that the student union is open every Wednesday. So they go, there's an area of the school called the student union. And it's all where all the businesses are. And then on Wednesday, there's tables and banners everywhere advertising all these political and religious groups. <clears throat> so they have like the Baptist and the Catholic student union and the Republican, the Democrat, and the Monarchy Party, Student Union. Monarchy Party, lots of fun. And uh, the Satanic and the Wiccan, Student Union. Okay, so I went to their Satanic Coven, and it's not really a coven, it's like a club, and it's a bunch of kids away from home for the first time with no adult supervision, and they think that Satan is all about getting high, getting drunk, getting laid. Mm. Well, I've been doing that since I was 12 years old. I don't need a satanic coven for that anymore. And these guys don't really know magic. They make up magic spells as they go. Kind of like, I'm going to take a puff of this cigar and a drink of this beer, and then I'm going to kiss Susie, and that's going to give me a new truck. <laughs> yeah, good luck with that. Hope that works for you. Right. And, uh, you know, it never worked. And it's because it's not real magic. You know, it's like, that's not a magic spell. You know, do you know that if you include these 15 things and do this ritual, and they're like, oh, screw that, man. I'm not going to all that work. Okay, then I'll just keep my magic to myself. And I'll keep being successful. And you can keep getting drunk and taking a toke and kissing Susie. Hope you get that truck. And, uh, I got tired of this after a while. I mean, it was just, and then this is, this was the real kicker to me. So they would do this on Saturday. Guess what they did on Sunday? Go to church. Go to church. <laughs> Why? Because that's what they were. They were Christians that went to a satanic club as just a fun thing to do before they go to church. So Saturday night, I'm going to talk about killing goats and sacrificing children and doing this and doing that and being the evil guy that I am. And then Sunday I'm going to go get sanctified. Right. And then Saturday we're going to do it all again. You know, and I was like, Oh no. Huh? So I called my first coven and I was like, Hey, I was reading a book. And in that book, it was talking about magic and it talked about a coven that was out to rule the world, but it didn't say who they were but it said they were huge and it mentioned a place called Bohemian Grove. What can you tell me? And do I have to find Bohemian Grove to join? No. There's a group near you. Let me give you their phone number, call them up, tell them this phrase and they'll hook you up. Okay. So I did that and they gave me an address. And they said, we're having a party this Friday night. Come there. You won't need a password or anything to get in. You just walk in and just do whatever you want while you're there. You'll see all the activities. Join in. Okay. So I go to this place. Parking is insane. It, it's like Walmart at Christmas. Oh. So... I'm parking like a mile and a half away. I mean, I found the building 
but there's no place to park anywhere near it. So I've got to drive until, I mean, there's lots of parking, but you've got to keep going until you find a spot. So I find a spot and then I start walking because I've got to walk a mile back to get there. And when I walk inside, it's a building about the size of a super Walmart. And it's just one big open building. There's food in multiple places, drinks in multiple places, and drugs in multiple places, and about 10,000 people inside. And I'm walking around. I'm just, you know, carrying a drink with me, got a sandwich, just walking around. And they're making, there's a guy on a podium making announcements. And none of that's really making any sense to me. But goes go back to me being 13 years old at a sleepover. I saw this guy one night. I got up. It's like three o'clock in the morning. I want to get a drink of water and go to the bathroom. And on my way to the bathroom, I see this guy dressed in a tuxedo with a top hat and a wand in his hand. And he's got corpse paint on his face, but he looks like a member of Kiss wearing a tuxedo. To me, it's the coolest man I've ever seen in my life. And he sees me and he winks at me and keeps going. And I go to the bathroom, I come out, I get my drink of water, I go to bed. When I woke up the next morning, I was like, hey, who was this? I saw him in here last night. And they're like, oh, you dreamed that. That didn't really happen. And I thought, wow, so my parents lied to me, my Baptist preacher lies to me, and now my satanic coven's lying to me. Okay, I'm just going to store that away in the back of my mind, and I'll find that someday. I'll just hold on to that little gym. So that little gym happened when I was 18 years old. I was at this party. And suddenly, I see not the same guy, but that same look, this guy walking through this party. And I grabbed this guy I was with, and I was like, who is that? What is that? How can I do that? And he says, well, who ran your satanic coven, the coven you came from? Obviously, you got referred to to get here. I was like, yeah, we had a really big satanic coven. that had 120 to 150 members any given time. We had 13 high priests and priestesses over us. He goes, did you have official magic practitioners? I said, yeah, I was one. You wear a red robe. Everyone else wears a black robe. Except initiates, they wear a white robe. He goes, okay. He goes, well, we're run by a CEO and board of directors. <laughs> and then that guy is called the high wizard. And he does the official magic of the coven. And I was like, how can I get that position? He said, well, I know that Satan handpicks the high wizard. That's what we're told. But I don't know how you do that. I don't know how he chooses. And by the way, our coven has 1.1 million members worldwide. Jeez. You know, and I'm thinking my 120 to 150 was really big because we were so much bigger than all the other covens around us. Because most covens have 13 members or less. You know, so 120 to 150 is huge. 
you know, and I tell this guy it was huge. And then he looks at me like I'm an idiot, you know, like, well, why do you think that's huge? And then tells me that, it, you know, we have over 1 million members. And I'm like, oh, okay. Yeah. I'm the idiot. And, uh, that, that idiot theme follows me throughout my life. So, um, I, I did notice that I didn't find wisdom till I hit about 40. My dad was the biggest idiot in the world till I turned 40 and suddenly he was so smart. <laughs> Because he was the biggest idiot back when I was the, the 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 amazing child of 13 that had all the answers. Right. How is he not smart like me? So anyway, um, I tell this story to so many people and so many older people say, we see you in ourselves. You know, as we were growing up, we were like, oh, he was, he was one of us. So anyway, um, I decided that abortions when you do an abortion you get the devil's attention so if i wanted to be the high wizard i should do a few more abortions so i just found the right group in the party to find the group that did abortions so you kind of work with the team with the high wizards but you're not actually working with a high wizard but you're on the team that does the abortions. So I did a few more abortions that way. And, you know, as I tell people, when I do talks, I travel the world giving my talks and everyone at the abortion clinic is equally responsible for that dead baby. So obviously the abortion doctor and the abortion nurse are responsible but the counselor that talked you into getting the abortion is responsible. The receptionist at the front desk that took down your information and gave you your papers to sign is equally responsible. So is the security guard that's outside making sure that your cars are safe and not broken into and nobody brings a gun into the clinic. They're equally responsible for the death of that child. You know who else is responsible? the person that put on the new roof so that rain doesn't leak inside and get on the dead baby or the person that's outside doing the lawn maintenance that makes the place look nice and pretty. So you want to go in the building and get your baby killed. They are equally responsible for that dead child. So everyone's responsible, whether you're killing the baby or just there helping it facilitate. So I was equally responsible with everybody else. Right. When I was 21 years old, I got this notice in the mail said that I was being called before the CEO and board of directors. I had to answer some questions. And I had also heard that some people that do that are never heard or seen from again. And I was like, oh, I ain't going out like no sucker. Right. So in Florida, there's a two-week cooling off period to buy a gun. And my meeting was in three weeks. So I went and bought a six-hour and a bunch of ammo. So I don't know how many people there are going to be there, but if everybody's armed, I want it to be an equal playing field. Right. So bunch of ammo, bunch of clips, nine millimeter, shoulder holster. I didn't have a concealed carry weapon license, but it was definitely a concealed carry. 
You know, and I was walking in there and I was like, I am armed and ready for bear. And instead, I walked into this room. They had this black curtain on the wall and they pulled a cord and the curtain slid open. And there's like nine costumes on the wall, nine variations of the same theme. And then they showed me the slideshow of all these different designs of face paint. And then you had uh, a wand or a cane you could take. And I took the cane because I thought the wand was kind of hokey, cheesy. And they gave me this light blue handbook, pretty hokey kind of handbook. And it says, High Wizard Handbook. And they're inviting me to be the new high wizard. I'm 21 years old. At the time, I was the youngest high wizard ever chosen. And sometime after me, they chose a 19-year-old girl. But they gave me this handbook, and I opened up the first page. And there's little cartoon drawings in it. And the first page, it says, rule number one, no one can tell you what to do. Rule number two, refer to rule number one. It's almost like the rules of fight club. Yeah, yeah, kind of. <laughs> so, you know, I was like, this is the job for me. Like, no one can tell me what to do. Like, people hire my satanic coven. They pay them big money. and then the high wizard is then hired to do this job. Now there's generally between two and five in the world, but the number could be as low as one or as high as 10. And they choose who they want. You know, they pick the high wizard. Then they tell you, and you're allowed to say, no, you don't want to do it for whatever reason. You don't have to give a reason. You can just say yes or no. I only turned down one spell in my entire life, though, because my feelings were, if you paid this kind of money, you deserve to get what you want. You know, I mean, if whatever it is that you're trying to get. You know, I had a guy that wanted to get, he owned a, what's the name of that? Range Rover. He owned a Range Rover company, uh, distributorship, and it was together with a Porsche dealership. And he owned a really big one. And there was another one in the city on the other side of the city. And he kept trying to buy it so that he would control the entire city. And that guy just liked to jerk him around and would act like he was going to sell it, but then wouldn't. And kept just, just playing with it. I think it was like a game to him. Mm. And he said he wanted whatever it took for that guy to sell his business, he wanted to do that. Whatever it takes, just do it. So I did one, I did a spell for that. And the guy died and his wife was ready to sell. His wife was willing to do the deal, but he wasn't. Did I kill him? I don't know. He died right after I did the spell. Right. All I did was do a spell that would clear the way so that guy could buy something. It wasn't specific. You know, and the guy, 
it was timing, but coincidence could have been magic could have been, you know, what people don't realize is that for the devil to do something, he's got to get God's permission. So if he's going to kill somebody, he's got to get God's permission to do that. So sometimes it's not really that the magic spell worked. It's that Satan has insider information for certain things. Because God knows when everybody's going to die. Maybe Satan gets insider information and passes that along. And maybe it looks like you caused the person to die. But in reality, that was their time to go. You know, it's just kind of a, you know, there's a lot of mysteries in this world, and that's one of them. Right. You, you know, sometimes you just got to accept these things and move on. Because, you know, if you stay trying to ponder that, then you start going down some rabbit holes that sometimes you can't get out of. Oh, yeah. We've all chased a rabbit hole and been sorry that we did it. Yes, sir. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yes, sir. So I get to do this, uh, this high wizard gig. Then I found out that Bohemian Grove was a real place. There's a lot of people that think it's only open one time a year. It is officially open four times a year. February, May, July, and October. If you have a billion dollars to blow, you can go anytime you want, but you got to take your own wait staff. Um, I got invited 18 times. Um, the Illuminati runs that. Freemasons do the security for it. I really think that, now I could be wrong about this, but I really thought that Alex Jones got permission to be there. Yeah, I was just going to ask you that. Were you there when when Alex Jones? Uh... I, I wasn't there. I looked up when he was there. I think it was 2003. Okay, so you were <laughs> I, stopped, I stopped being a high wizard in 1999. Right, okay. And actually in March of 1999, so I didn't even make it to um, cremation of care, which is in July. Um, but I really think that he got permission to be there because from where the security camera is hidden, it's up high. It's not like they're not carrying it around in like a duffel bag or something. Right. It looks like it's too high. It looks like it's on the guy's shoulder. Mm -hmm. Now, I guess it could have been in a cigarette pack in his pocket or in his hat, you know, but it just didn't seem like it was all that hidden. And to me, it, yeah, it always looks staged to me. Security doesn't generally leave you alone and walk away to check on you. They take you to a waiting area where there's security staff that doesn't let you go anywhere. And then they take care of everything and then they come back and then they escort you off the property. Right. You know, so, I mean, he got to be let go like three times. Uh, when he was hiding in the woods, though, and he's telling what he's seeing happening and he sees the guy get into the boat and cross the little man-made pond thing. Um, he describes a high wizard. 
you know, he's saying what he's looking at. He's looking at a high wizard because he describes the guy dressed in black with white paint on his face. I think with a hat on his head or something and crossing this thing, you're crossing, you're in a, a flat boat that's on a track, actually. You're, you're not, it, you're, on, you're on water, but. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. The boat is on a track. Okay. And then you use a, a long uh, stick pushing off the ground to go from one side to the other. Now, uh, is, does that pond represent the abyss? I think it's just done for theatrics. Okay. All right. You know, I mean, and, and it's on a track so that just in case, you know, you don't tip over and you don't push off and go off to the right or to the left, you go straight across. So I'm sure that back in the day when this was first done, they probably had some accidents or mishaps, you know, and somebody said, Hey, why don't we put this thing on a rail? Like, you know, when you go to an amusement park, you know, the boat actually isn't free floating. It's on a track. You know, that way it never goes the wrong way. You know, some genius thought, hey, yeah, let's do that. Right. So, you know, but going to Bohemian Grove the first time, they told me that every president at that time, every president except one had been put into office by the Illuminati. It's never a mystery who the president's going to be because they know way in advance. But one of the times that I was there, I saw Bill Clinton there. At that time, I thought, this is the nicest man I've ever met. He was so nice and polite and genteel and like a true gentleman. Now, we all know better than that now. Right. But, you know, at the time, I mean, this was like 1991 or 92. I didn't know that. I just thought he was a nice guy split his cake with me, had a good conversation. And then, you know, it's a men's only club. And I saw Hillary there. And she got escorted off the property. And um, at gunpoint. And. uh, Yeah, that's one of my favorite parts of your story, by the way. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't know if you wanted me to go into detail of that or not. Oh, absolutely. Uh, every time I, I listen to it, I, I, I laugh, you know what I mean? I was just like, yeah, I, I kind of, I, I don't want to sound mean or anything, but there, you know, what, what, if, what if something did go the other way? <laughs> you know I mean? Yeah. How would the world be different now? Exactly. Well, we heard, I'm sitting there eating a piece of cake next to Bill Clinton. And, uh, I had been, well, to start that story off, just to get everybody to this point. I kept walking by this table. They're having a barbecue. So all these table and chairs and benches are out. And all these people, these politicians mainly, are out having food. As the high wizard, I'm doing a job there. I'm going to different groups. I'm generally not doing, I don't do a lot of magic there, but I pretty much take orders for magic. 
So, you know, I come to you, you tell me what you want. I give you a card. I give you a number to call. So you're going to call this number and negotiate a price. And then they're going to call me and tell me the person you gave said, this is what they want. And this is the instructions. And then I'm going to do the spell, but I'm going to do it later. So, but I'm traveling around to all these different people talking to everybody. And as I go, I'm passing this table that has this giant cake on it. It looks like it has about 12 layers on it. And I want a piece of that. All I want is a piece of that cake. But every time I go by, it now has 11 layers. And then it has 10 layers. And then it has nine layers. And I can't stop. I, I can't stop and get a piece. And every time I go by, and finally I go by, and there's one layer left. It's the biggest layer. So I'm like, when I go by, I'm stopping. I don't care what's going on. I'm stopping. I'm getting a piece. When I come back by, I pick up a fork off the table. Cake's gone. And I look around. There's only one guy sitting at the table eating, and it's Bill Clinton. But I'm not sure it's Bill Clinton because people look different on TV than they do in person. Right. And I walk up to him. I've got a fork in my hand. And I said, and he's eating the food, the, the main part of the food. Cake is just sitting there on a side plate. And I said, what are the chances that I could sneak a piece of that cake? Just one bite. And he says, uh, why don't you take half? Take whatever half you want. I'll take the rest. So in reality, I wanted the back half with all the icing and everything on it. But, you know, I recognize, you know, you're being kind, just giving me a bite. So I'll take the first half. So I took probably a little less in the first half. And we're having a good, fun conversation. And I asked him if he was Bill Clinton. And he said, yes, he was. And he shook my hand. And uh, such a nice gentleman at that time. And then suddenly, I hear a woman's voice. And she announces that I got all the papers signed. You'd be proud of me. And she says a couple of other things. And suddenly, my security staff is running at her with pistols pulled out yelling at her to drop to her knees, drop, 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 <laughs> you know? And she's like, got this look on her face. Like she's just pissed as hell. Like, how dare you talk to me? And this, my guy runs all the way up to her, pointing a pistol at her till it's right at her forehead. And he makes her drop to her knees. And uh, Bill never gets flustered during all this time. Like, you know, he's not in a panic about telling me that's my wife. He just says, that's my wife. That's Hillary. And, you know, I, my, my guard is the one that's standing closest to me is laying on top of me, like has me like pushed down and his security you know, he's got secret service with him and they're not really saying anything. You know, they've got a gun to his wife. His secret service isn't saying it. They're not stepping up. Like, oh, by the way, don't shoot her. Not, none of that. And um, finally, you know, after some communication about who she is, why she's there, 
And that's another question. This place where we are, this was one of the places that Alex Jones filmed. Right. So this is like in the heart of the center. <laughs> How did she make it all the way from the parking lot to here? Like she's a female. She couldn't have gotten a ride. They wouldn't have given her a ride up the mountain. Hmm. And there's no driving up the mountain. So she had to walk. Yeah, that is crazy. Like that. And there's security out there. Like you didn't notice a woman walking. You know, nowadays you see transvestites everywhere, but back then that would have stood out. Right. You know, it'd have been like, whoa, what are you doing here? Even if it was a transvestite, it'd have been like, whoa, what are you doing here? So, although that reminds me of another story I could tell you about Bohemian Grove, um, about something else that gets that happens there. Um, so security finally, they, they've told her that she's got to go and we're going to escort her down to her car and they're going to give her a ride down there. And I, you know, I, you know, and they're, they're asking me, you know, what do you want us to do? And I said, just get rid of her. So they walk away with her and she's like armed. The, the guns are on her and she's being escorted away by like six guys. And then I'm talking to Bill and I asked Bill, so um, you want us to kill her or let her live? He goes, oh, she's my wife. I love her. So you don't want her to die. No. Okay. Then, you know, explain about the cake and I gave him the last half of all the icing and, you know, all of that. And then um, one of my security guys runs back to me and I said, yeah, you forget something? He goes, oh, we're having a argument down by the car. Uh, half the guys are saying that you said to kill her and the other half are saying you said to just take her to the car you said get rid of her and it's not clear what you wanted us to do and i looked at bill and he said i love her i said okay she lives and he said they're going to be so disappointed <laughs> okay she lives so he runs back and yeah it was like that close from not having to deal with Hillary anymore. Yeah. You would have changed history forever. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you know, things you don't know. Yeah. True. You know, you, you don't know what you don't know. So, you know, I, uh, I let that go, but, um, yeah, there's, uh, there was one, one of the times I was at Bohemian Grove and this would have been also in the nineties. And let me see. Let me see. I met Reagan there in 87. Mm. I've never seen somebody look so uncomfortable in my life. Like, he looked like he truly did not want to be there. And uh, he had to pay his dues, though. Right. Well, I mean, he got put there by the Illuminati. Right. Like I said, only one president wasn't. And uh, no Which one ever guesses. Which president was that? Take three guesses. Be bold. Come on. Uh, be original. Be original. I'll tell you if anyone else has ever guessed it. Okay. All but one. Um, 
Was he assassinated? No. Okay, so it wasn't JFK. Uh, and a lot of people guess that. Yeah, Carter. Yes. Oh, really? Yeah, well, <laughs> he was pretty stupid, so. <laughs> um, when he ran, the Illuminati's perspective was no one's going to vote for this redneck peanut farmer. Oh, wow. And so they didn't push their person, and then he won. So then after that, they decided, well, now we're going to push our person like we've never pushed before. And, you know, Reagan took like every state but one. Right. So, you know, Reagan had to show up. Do you think do you think that's how they were thinking when Hillary was running against Trump that nobody would vote for him or could it be vice versa? They wanted Trump in. I don't think they were pushing Trump. You know, of all the times that I went there, I never saw Trump there. Mm. And he was rich enough to be there. Right. You know, even on the off days, you know, if it wasn't the cremation of care, he still had the money to show up. You know, you don't have to be a billionaire to show up anytime you want. You could just have hundreds of millions. Right. You know, as long as you've got money to buy yourself into the Bohemian Club. and money to bring a support staff with you, you know, and not leave it like you were there. You know, like they want it just as pristine when you leave as when you got there. Right. You know, if you've got the staff to do that, however much money that is, you can go. Did you ever see Jeffrey Epstein there? No, but I have been, I was to his island. Oh. And I've been on that plane at the same time as Bill Clinton. Mm. Shit. I've also had other people on the plane that I didn't know. And, but the thing about the island, though, is that, you know, like, I watched the documentary on Netflix. Mm-hmm. And in that, they told about, like, he flew in two twin girls from France that were 12 years old. And I mean, they didn't show them, but, you know, they talked about that and it entered, they interviewed like a hundred different girls and showed how young a lot of the girls were. I didn't see any of that on the island. I saw every girl look like she was, if I had to guess, I'd say they all looked old enough to drink. So they all looked at least 21 to about 30. Hmm. And, you know, yeah, they're all walking around and like next to nothing or nothing, but none of them looked underage. Like, I mean, I don't, I wasn't there, you know, however many years that place was there, I wasn't there for years. I would come in for like two or three days, you know, or eight day, you know, I'm coming in because he wants a magic spell done or whatever. But, you know, he's like, I want a magic spell done. Enjoy my island for the day. Right. You know, you know, you walk into this place and it's, wall-to-wall naked chicks but you know they look like they're all old like i said old enough to drink old enough to be there like they made a free choice to be there none of them nobody ran up to me and said i'm kidnapped can you fly me out you know can you rescue me can you help me can you do something for me nobody seemed it didn't seem like they were desperate to get away everybody looked like they were having a good time I'm not saying that none of these people were victims, but they didn't look like like the the documentary presented them. 
right. as everybody was underage. You got everybody from high school or middle school. You know, it didn't look like that. Yeah, make you know, and like you said, you know, it it might not have went on why you were there. You know what I mean? Right. And you know, it nobody knows for sure except for the people that were involved and and did witness whatever was going on that was nefarious obviously you know they're they're gonna hang themselves by a doorknob and we'll never know so speaking of hanging yourself by a doorknob do you think that chris cornell really committed suicide no or do you think he was suicided out he was suicided out say chester beddingfield and anthony bourdain and a few others. Yeah, I truly believe that. Now, do you think Jeffrey Epstein is dead? No. I don't think so either. We got the same thing going here. Yeah. <laughs> Let's show each other more often. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah. I also saw um, Obama there in 94. Mm. And that was an, that was an odd meeting because... Uh, I was walking across the field. This was just before the activity started. That was like a week before. And we're walking every, there's a lot of people there. And the guy that's like the rector, so to speak, of the event is walking me along, telling me this guy needs your services. This guy says, he'll never use you again. You know, this guy loves it. This guy wants you. This guy doesn't. This guy wants 10 things from you. And we're on a crash course. Our group's heading this way. And across with us is a black guy and a white guy walking together. And I'm thinking, we're going to intersect. Now, where no one else would give that a second thought, if you get too close to the high wizard and you're not supposed to be close to the high wizard, you could be tackled, you could be tasered, you could be shot. You could be punched. Something will happen to you that you don't want to have happen. Right. For me, I had to get up too early this morning. I haven't had coffee yet. I'm still groggy. This is going to be my first entertainment of the day. (laughs) I'm going to enjoy this. I have ex-secret service walking with me. They love to taser people. Right. They not only like to taser you with like a one million won baton. But they will also taser you with a gun that can shoot like 30 feet Mm. just for the hell of it. Hey, watch this. (laughs) You know, then to watch the guy, bam, hit the ground. So, and this is entertainment for them. So I'm thinking either one, I don't care which one, but we're going to intersect and you can't get close to me. But as we're going, he stops me. And says, oh, that guy in the jeans, I'm like, there's five guys in jeans, white shirt, there's three guys in white shirts, black shoes, there's two guys in black shoes, the thin one, okay, you could have just said that to begin with, there's only one thin one in the group. And he goes, okay, well, that guy has a very important job for you, and he's desperate, and he wants to see you first before everybody else. So as we're there, and that took a few minutes to go through, the black guy and the white guy walk right past and don't intersect with us. 
And then my guy goes, that black guy is going to be president someday. And I look and I said, no one voted for Jesse Jackson. Why would right. they vote for him? And he goes, he's being uh, groomed. He's going to be, he's going to be president. Now, the guy he was walking with was George Soros. Mm. Shocker. And yeah, shocking, right? Yeah. Like, you never saw that coming. Look what he's doing in, in Ukraine right now. <laughs> so uh, Soros I knew because Soros I'd worked with before. So the other guy I didn't know. You know, I told this in an interview a few years ago. And they're like, who is the black guy? I said, he's president now. You know, and they're like, oh. Right. <laughs> so I keep doing this. Now, I equate what I did as a high wizard to working in a candy store. Now, not a candy store in the mall, because that's too small. But every once in a while, I visit a state. I think Chicago might be one, but I, I don't remember. On one of my tours, we saw a freestanding building that was a candy store. And I mean, it's gigantic. You walk in this place and it's like a million different pieces of candy. Wow. So you've got chews and hard candies and stuff with nuts and stuff with cream and um, uh, it just every type. And there's like a huge sugar-free section, you know? And so I equate my job as a high wizard and sinning because as the high wizard, no one can tell you what to do. I can sin all I want. You know, we have this thing in the Catholic Church called an examination of conscience form. It's basically a Ten Commandments, but then it shows you in the subcategories, like thou shalt not lie does not just include lying. There's an entire subcategory underneath that of all the other sins that fall under that. You know, and thou shalt not kill is not just killing. There's a lot of stuff that comes under that. You know, thou shalt not have any gods before me. You know, that has a lot of stuff underneath it. Every one of the Ten Commandments has subcategories. Well, I didn't know about any of that. But if I'd have been given one of those when I was a high wizard, I would have gone through it like it was a goal sheet. You know, like, let's see what else I can do today. You know, oh, I've got those 10 things done. Let me go for these next 10 things. Right. So I'm committing sins like you read about. Like, this is my job. I'm having fun. I'm doing everything under the sun. I mean, I don't really need to do all the sex sins anymore. I mean, I was in child pornography for four and a half years when I was a child. So, and that didn't appeal to me when I was an adult. Having sex did, not doing the child thing. That was disgusting. Right. So I'm looking at my first day as a candy store manager. You're looking at a million types of candy. How long will it take me to try every piece? Now, not the licorice, because no one wants that. But because there are some sins that are gross. I don't want to do those. But the sins I want to do, how long will that take? Well, after six months, you've had all the candy you wanted to try. 
And six months later, you've had the licorice too. So some of those sins you said you'd never do, you dipped your toe, your toe in the pool, tried it. It's, it's getting boring doing everything else now. And then, you know, three years later, you're wondering how come your boss can't invent a new sin? Well, there's a new candy bar comes out. You're all excited because there's a new candy bar. There hasn't been a new candy bar made in the three years you've been there. You run up, you grab it off the wall, you rip that wrapper open, and it's the same old candy bar in a new wrapper. There's nothing new about it. Crack cocaine comes out. Oh, my God, there's a new drug. We got to try that. Let's smoke some crack cocaine. You can make yourself a can out of a, a Coke, get yourself a lighter with an extra large flame. Here we go. We're cooking. Smoke that up. And when you're high as hell, you then realize, wait a minute. This is still cocaine. Right. It's nothing new. I haven't invented a new drug. I've smoked something that's been here since Adam and Eve were here. So how come my boss can't invent a new sin? How come there's no new sin under the sun? You know, after seven years, you know, when I first started, there were red lights on red wrappers and blue lights on blue wrappers and yellow lights on yellow wrappers. And I thought the person that invented that idea was a genius. And there were these red and white brightly lit tiles on the walls that matched the tiles on the floor. Hmm. But now after seven years, I have to turn those lights off because those make me nauseous. And the lights on the wall and the floor are now dull. And no matter how much you scrub them, no matter what you scrub them with, they'll never be as shiny as when you started. This job sucks ass. Right. I've been there for seven years. You know, when I first got there, I got to travel. I got to go to Bohemian Grove. I got to party with rock stars. I got to go to rock to actors' houses. I got to go see billionaires. I got to go see kings and queens and presidents and monarchs and the royal family. And I got to hang out in mansions all across the world. <coughs> And now seven years in, I have to travel. I have to go to Bohemian Grove. I have to hang out with billionaires. I have to go to mansions. I have to eat their food. I have to take their drugs. I have to sleep with prostitutes. I have to do all this stuff. And this job sucks. And it's not as much fun as it used to be. I used to get to travel. Now I have to travel. I used to get to do magic. Now I have to do magic. When I, when I got to do magic, it was fun. When I have to do it, it's a job. Jobs aren't fun. Right. You know, <clears throat> this is like the worst job in the world. You know, it's like if I took enough drugs to get high, I'd die. If I drank enough to get drunk, my liver will shut down. You know, there's not enough sinning to make you feel good. 
it's like the more sin you do, the bigger the hole gets, the bigger the hole gets, the more sin you do. You know, and there's no satisfying what you're doing. And then I had this job for 12 years. I did 146 assisted abortions. I helped split over 100 churches. Now, that's not destroying the church. Satan just wants it to split. Right. And, you know, when you split it, it causes people to quit and leave and lose their faith. That's all he wants, people to lose their faith. You know, in a perfect world, yeah, we'd all worship the devil. This is based on the devil. But he's okay if you don't want to worship him. He just doesn't want you to worship God. So if you're an atheist and you don't believe in Satan or the devil, he wins. You'll believe in the devil when you die. You'll also believe in hell. There's no atheists in hell. So I'm very tired of where I am. I've seen everything 10 times over. And I'm tired of seeing it. I could turn down the prettiest woman in the world at this point because I don't care. You know, I've seen more boobs than I care to. No one is attractive anymore. Nothing is pretty anymore. Flowers aren't pretty anymore. I don't like anything. I certainly don't like myself. I don't like what I'm doing. I don't like who I do it with. I don't like who I work with, who I work for. And I plot an escape. Now I know before this that the ways to get out, you can die, you can commit suicide, you can die of natural causes, you can be murdered. And all three of those options, I end up in hell. Mm. Now, I'm not 100% positive that hell is real, but just in case it is, that's probably where I'm going. And I don't want to go. So I plot an escape. Now, at this point in my fake bank account, I have $87 million, and that is washed like a hawk. In my real bank account, any given time, I had about $265. Now, sometimes a little more, sometimes a little less. That is also watched. So I'm slowly pilfering money out of that. You know, like 10 bucks, 20 bucks here and there. Not every day, but every time I take it out, I have money that I really need that I need to buy groceries with or pay a bill or something like that. And I try and do most of that with checks. Right. So we can see that official money is going out to do stuff. And then I take out money here and there. Something that, you know, maybe I'm going out to a club that night or I go out with friends to eat or something like that. But in reality, I'm stashing that money at my house. So that maybe in a couple of years, I can escape and run away and have a good nest egg. But instead, after eight months, I couldn't stand it anymore. Once the plan got started, I was like, I got to go. 
So I eventually scheduled a doctor visit for three weeks, three weeks out, and that was going to be my day. And from my house, you got jumped on the highway, drove to the last exit and got off and went to the doctor. Well, I jumped on the highway and just kept going. I drove till I ran out of gas, spent the night in my car on the side of the road. Next day, I woke up, hitchhiked into town and then sold my car for scrap. So I had extra money, bought a Greyhound bus ticket to get into Canada. At that time, you didn't need a passport to get into Canada. And it was funny that I wanted to go to Canada because, you know, Satan's there, too. Right. If you look at it now, Satan's running Canada. Oh, yeah. But uh, at that time, you know, for some reason, I had friends in Canada and they weren't Satanists. And I thought for some reason, maybe I could escape into Canada and hide and maybe from Canada go someplace else. And um, so I tried to get into Canada and I got rejected at the border. And for no real reason, they just, you know, they randomly pick people to say no. And I was one of those random no's. So then I was driving back and I was, they gave me a bus ticket. And my bus ticket, they said, I could go anywhere in the United States I wanted to go. So I opened up an atlas, closed my eyes and put my finger down, thought, what does Satan want to tell me? Click. And it landed on Oklahoma. And, uh, so I was like, well, I guess I'm going to Oklahoma. And I just picked a, a town at random. I went to Broken Arrow. Didn't even know what that was. Uh, let's go to Broken Arrow, Oklahoma, a suburb of Tulsa. Hmm. And uh, so Greyhound gave me a ride there. I ended up um, getting a job. I lived off the grid for about a year. Then I got back on the grid, bought a car. And so after about three years of living there, tried to get into Canada again. And I got rejected at the border again. So, and this time I had a friend call me and said there was an entrance near Vermont that doesn't have a border guard there. And I was like, great, I'm heading that way. So I'm about two hours away from that border crossing. And I get super sleepy. Like, if I don't pull over, I'm going to crash the car. So I pulled over at a rest stop and I took a nap. And I must have really needed that nap because when I woke up, it was the next day. It was the next morning. I'm like, I've only got two hours to go. I'll have breakfast when I get into Canada. And I'm bebopping along, get to the border. And as I cross over, I get pulled over by a border guard. And he searches my car inside and out, top to bottom. And while he's doing that, he's telling me his life story. And he tells me that he's been trying to get this job for three years. And today is his very first day on the job. What are the chances? God's got a sense of humor. Yep. So I get rejected at the border. I am worth $18 and have half a tank of gas. And I drove to Burlington, Vermont. Actually, I was on my way there. I didn't even know where I was heading. And I stopped at a rest stop to go to the bathroom. And the rest stops were actually closed overnight. So I had to wait for it to open. And then I went to the bathroom and I met a guy in the bathroom. 
and he was from Burlington and told me I, I could follow his car and we could go to his house and then he would hook me up with all the places I need to go. So I was about to be homeless. So I got hooked in with the homeless program there. And my first day in town, I got a job. Everybody was telling me it's impossible to get a job here. No one's hiring. And my first day in town, I got a job at a place called Nectar's. Um, <laughs> it's a venue bar. It, it's, I don't know if you've heard of the rock band Fish. Yeah. But they used to have a residency at Nectar's. Okay. So that's, where they, that's where they started was at Nectar's. So I got a job there as a dishwasher. And I ended up, like I was homeless for maybe a month or two. And being in the homeless program, they actually find you a place to live. And so I had a dope place. There's no ghetto in Burlington, Vermont. It, it's a really nice place to live. Uh, super nice people. Uh, you know, there's like, I don't know, 19 colleges there or something. Something insane. It's like the majority of the town is college students. And uh, so I got a job as the dishwasher when I first got there. Then I was a bouncer which there they call all their bouncers doorman. And then I went from being a doorman to being head of security. And then from working there, there was a, a Polynesian nightclub uh, that opened up restaurant and nightclub called Kahiki Moon. And I moved over there and I was started off as head of security. And then I was a nighttime GM. And then from there, I went to work in retail and I went to finish line and then sunglass hut and then piercing pagoda and when i moved to oklahoma originally i couldn't do magic out in public it's like the belt buckle of the bible belt mm -hmm. so you can't say you do magic you can't say you worship the devil and i'm like oh my gosh you couldn't say anything like that you can't dress up like a Wiccan, go outside. I mean, you'd just be shot and hung or, you know, burn you at the stake or whatever. So, I mean, you've got to practice magic in your house with the door locked, in your private bedroom with the door locked, and no one can know. Like, you can't even let it slip. Oh, by the way, I did a magic spell today. You know, and you think your roommate would just go, bam, no more magic for you. So, but when you move to Vermont, you see Wiccans... And magic people, Satanists walking around on the street wearing their robes out in public. If you want to major, if you can go to college and major and learn to be a Druid or learn to be a Wiccan or learn to be a shaman, all those things you can go to college to learn how to do. Like if you pick up a travel magazine for Burlington, Vermont, or for Vermont in general, it'll tell you that it is the least religious state in the nation. But by least religious, they mean Christian. Because there's lots of pagan religions there that you're allowed to do. So I moved there and I'm able to practice magic out in public. Now, I don't tell anybody, oh, by the way, I'm the high wizard. You know, I keep that a secret and I keep a secret that I used to belong to the world's largest satanic coven. But I'm able to practice magic. I've got friends there that are shaman or that are druids. And we practice magic together. I'm having a grand time because I'm addicted to magic. I can't stop that. So I'm still, I'm doing that. And I've got a lot of friends that are doing it. 
And then I get every job that I get, I'm always a manager. So I finish line, I was a manager in training. So you're above the assistant manager and below the general manager. Sunglass side, I was the general manager, piercing the goat on the general manager. So I do a magic spell one night. Next day, I go to work. And this woman comes up, and she wants to buy a pair of gold hoop earrings. And I present her with the perfect pair based on her description. She agrees, perfect pair. This is what she wants. We're about to close the deal. And she says, well, you know, actually, I'm in the mall shopping with my daughter. And when I'm done, I'll come back and I'll buy these. And she walks away. And I smile and I say, okay. And most women that say that, I know what they're saying is, I'm going to go find this cheaper someplace else. Right. But two things I know. One is that I work at Piercing Pagoda, and you're not going to find them cheaper someplace else. And two, you've got an honest face. I know you're coming back. So I put them up near the register, fill the hole, just busied myself. I knew she was coming back. Sure enough, three hours later, that woman comes back up. She smiles real big. I pulled out the earrings. I had them right near the register. We do the transaction. She gives me money. I give her gold. Deal is over. I give her the receipt. On the receipt, we're having a promo right then. I said, if you call this 800 number on this receipt and take a survey, you might win $1,000. She goes, that's great. I've got something for you, too. Oh, no. I know she's going to pull out a jack chick pamphlet. Tell me that I'm sinning. I drop to my knees and beg for forgiveness and blah, blah, blah. All this stuff that I can't do because I sold my soul to the devil when I was 13. But here's where my stupidity did not kick in. I've lived so long that I have told one of these evangelical types before. I sold my soul to the devil when I was 13 and can't drop to my knees and beg for forgiveness. And I'm not going to read your Jack Chick pamphlet. And they followed me home evangelizing to me. So I know better than to do that. I know that whenever she hands me this pamphlet, I'm going to tell her I'm going to read it. I don't know if you've ever read one. They're basically like a mini comic book. When you first read it, they're kind of entertaining. Yeah. After you receive your hundredth one, you get pissed off. You know, you're like, I don't care about this. And you flip it in the face. But I know she's a nice lady. She made my day financially. I sold one pair of earrings and made my day for the day. I'm good. I'll be as nice to her as she wants me to be. I'll take the pamphlet and I'll read it and then I'll toss it in the trash. So I stick my hand out for it. But instead of this Jack Chick pamphlet, she pulls out this little bitty gold cheap colored piece of tin. I have no idea what this is. This is odd. And then she says the weirdest thing I've ever heard. Now, remember that I partied with rock stars. You give somebody that can write a poem or a song, unlimited alcohol and drugs, and they will say some twisted stuff. Oh, I bet. Now, if you wonder what twisted stuff they can say, Turn on your radio to a top 40 station and listen to a song. Mm -hmm. Just listen to the silly repetition, the silly hooks, the lines, 
the things that they think are cool. Katy Perry, I kissed a girl and I liked it. So what? That's news. You know, or this was the example I like to give, like the number one song of 1999, I think. Bow to Bob by Kid Rock. Mm-hmm. Bow to Bob, the dang to dang, diggy diggy, up jumps the boogie. It's like, that was your number one song. That was your breakout song. That's the top song you've ever done. That's the song that made you a rock god and a millionaire. Yeah. But really, bow to Bob, the dang to dang, diggy diggy. Come on. You couldn't come up with something better? You know, I say that at my audience a lot of times and they laugh and I say, we don't have any room to laugh. We made that song number one. Yeah. Not just for one week, but for like the year. You know, it's like he can go anywhere and be recognized because of that song. And yeah, he had some decent songs after that, but nothing topped that. So what this woman said to me, to me, was stranger than bow to ba to dang to dang. She said, the blessed mother is calling you into her army. And I thought, Isis? <laughs> Gaia? I don't know who the blessed mother is. I grew up Baptist. Now, I don't know if you grew up Baptist, but you know how many titles we have for the blessed mother? Zero. Right. But we have the name of Mary. What did Mary do? Well, she gave birth to Jesus. That's how we have Christmas. What else did Mary do? Well, in reality, she fled to Egypt with Joseph, but we never heard that story. And she turned water to wine at the wedding of Cana. But we never heard that story either because Baptists don't drink. I only heard that story when I became Catholic. I was like, this story is in the Bible? Never got that story. <laughs> so... The Blessed Mother is calling me into her army. And I, I'm clueless as to that. And then she says, very powerful. Protestants don't bless anything. So this woman represents some female deity cult. And I'm not interested. I've come from two big cults. Not really interested in this woman's cult, but you know, whatever. And I just kind of tune her out and I go to my happy place. And while I'm in my happy place, I start thinking, how do they all find me? There must be a big, giant neon sign above me that only crazy people can see. And it says, crazy people come here. And then there's an arrow pointing down to me. That's exactly how I found you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm just kidding. I've been waiting for somebody to admit it. <laughs> well, here, here's your first time. <laughs> you are. So um, you should remind me when I'm done telling my story to go back to Bohemian Grove and tell you about the, the other story. Okay. And I think you'll be interested in it. So um, I'm just pretty much tuned around because, you know, I'm thinking you got gold. I got money. I made my day financially. This was win-win. Why are you still talking to me? And eventually I tune her back in because she hasn't walked away yet. She's still talking away. And I mean, she's happy. She's just like thrilled to death, but I don't even know why. I tune her back in and she says again, now what she's given me is called a miraculous medal. It's a blessed miraculous medal. And she's telling me how powerful it is. 
Mm, no. No, I'm not going to accept her powerful metal as far as it being powerful. Let's go back to I was a high wizard. And there was between two and five in the world, but the number could have been as low as one. Out of seven billion people, I could have been the only one high wizard. That's a power trip and a half. Yeah. And I've got the magic power. My magic was 91% accurate. <coughs> so if I did a magic spell, say there's 100 people, and I did a magic spell against 100 of them to die, 91 of them are going to die. Now, that never happened. But it's just an example. So you're trying to tell me this worthless piece of gold-colored tin is powerful? This isn't powerful. There's no power to this. There's no mystique to this. I'm going to take this in my hand and I'm going to feel of it. I'm going to feel there's nothing in it, nothing to it. And then I'm going to basically tell her that her God, whatever it is, whoever that is, is worthless. And I'm going to toss it on the floor or slam it on the counter and tell her, there's no power to this. This can do nothing to me. This can't touch me. And I'm going to give it back to her. And if she gets offended, that's fine. And if she wants to return the gold and get her money back, that's fine too. And if she wants to call, I'm the store manager. So to get higher than me, you've got to call the regional manager. But if you want the regional manager's number, I'll give it to you. And you can call her and complain and tell her that I was rude because I make my days, my weeks, my months, my quarter, and my year. No other manager in my region is that good. And my manager is never going to believe that I was rude to anyone. She's going to think you got offended because of his tie. You were just having a bad day. You found out you had cancer today and you took it out on my manager. You know, there's some issue like that going on. It's not a real problem with him. I've got too, he's making too many days for that to be a real issue. So she hands it to me. She's all happy to hand it to me. And I take it in my hand and I clench my fist because I'm all ready to tell her these things. Except that when I clench my fist, my store completely disappeared. And my mall completely disappeared. And I'm standing in a darkened void. And it's just me and this woman. Her name is Marianne Wickman. And she starts telling me about the magic spell I did last night. And that's of the devil. And I've split over 100 churches, and that's of the devil. And I've done over 100 abortions, and that's of the devil. And she lists about eight or nine other sins that I've done. And after everything, she says, and that's of the devil. Now, I at first wanted to just drop this metal. But what happens if I drop it and I fall through this darkened void and I can't find my way back? I'd also like to attack her with magic. But let's go back to, I might have been the only one high wizard out of 7 billion people. My magic could not give somebody a worthless gold-colored piece of tin, transport both of us to a darkened void, and me know all their sins. 
her magic is stronger than my magic. And I was the high wizard. <coughs> I'm terrified of this woman. This woman could not only kill me, she could destroy me. I don't know what to do. I'm in a panic state. I'm sweating. I'm scared. I can't move. And I'm trapped. I don't know where to go. My boss is not helping me. And she says again, the Blessed Mother is calling you into her army. And it had to be a grace from God. I instantly knew that was the Mother of God. A very strange statement for a former Baptist. I mean, we'd rather shoot ourselves in the face with a shotgun than say Mother of God. Right. And as soon as I realized it was the Mother of God, Mary showed up. She smiled at me, and it was a smile I knew I did not deserve. I was acutely aware of my 146 assisted abortions. She took me by the hand, and she turned me around. Divine Mercy Jesus was standing behind me. I didn't know what Divine Mercy was. I had these rays of light shooting around me and under me and over me and through me. And instantly I knew that I had not sold my soul to the devil when I was 13 years old. I knew that Jesus Christ was my Lord and Savior. I knew all my magic, my occult, my new age, and my Satanism was false. And I knew everything Catholic was truth. The Blessed Mother told me that my job was to help her end abortion. And I opened my hand and I was back in my store, back in my mall. This woman, Marianne Wickman, still talking to me. She tells me where she goes to church and gives me the address. And her daughter comes up to the counter and she says, will you go out to the truck, bring this man one of each of everything? She's like, okay. And she runs out to the truck. Now, I wasn't Catholic yet, so I didn't know what one of each of everything meant. And we stood there and we talked for a while longer. While we're talking, she says that she works for Father Joe Whalen in the St. Raphael Healing Oil Ministry. He's the busiest priest she knows. She's the personal assistant, and he doesn't even have time to talk to her. While she's talking to me, her cell phone rings. She looks at it and she goes, this is Father Joe. I've got to take it. I was like, yeah, you just explained all that. Go ahead. Now, at this time, Father Joe was starting to go deaf. So when he talked, he talked like everybody else was going deaf. And she takes the call. She's like, and I could hear everything that he was saying. She said, Father Joe, what can I help you with? Can they hand the phone to the young man you're talking to? She's like, certainly, Father Joe. Here you go. So she hands the phone to me. I'm shaking like Ozzy Osbourne. I take the phone. I'm like, hello, welcome to the faith and the phone back to Marianne. So I hand the phone back to Marianne. We get two more phone calls like that. Her daughter comes in with a paper grocery bag filled to the top, pamphlets and brochures. Why do Catholics do this? Or why do they believe that? The Catholic Bible and like 125 <laughs> Lighthouse Catholic media discs. And then I went home after work. Walked in the door, my wife was doing the dishes, and I said, guess what, honey? I'm Catholic now. And she was like, oh, my God, of all the things you could be, why in the hell would you do that? 
But then the next day, she went to mass with me. And it's my first time ever going. And at the consecration of the host, I saw Jesus. But I thought everybody in that room, I thought if you were Catholic, you saw Jesus. I just thought everybody saw the same thing. And I turned to my wife and I said, did you see that? She's like, what? I said, that man. She goes, that's the priest. I said, no, next to the priest, that other guy. She goes, no, I didn't see it. I'm like, you didn't see it because you're not Catholic. But then I found out later that, no, I was the only one that was seeing that. And then I found out there was a place called Perpetual Adoration where you could go see Jesus anytime. And I was like, is there a sign-up sheet for that? Do I have to, like, sign my name up? And then when the time comes, I can then get in to see it. Like, they call me and tell me I can come. And they're like, no, you can just go anytime. I was like, no way. There's a line to get in to see Elvis, and he's been dead 40 years. <laughs> So we go. Shock number one. We're the only other car in the parking lot. Shock number two. There's no line to get in. Shock number three. We walk in the chapel. It's me and my wife, some strange woman, and Jesus. This woman looks at us like a deer in the headlights and then packs her stuff as fast as she can go. If this was an Olympic event, she got gold. And she said... <laughs> You can't leave till someone else comes in. And bam, she's out the door. Uh, why would I leave? I'm in a room with Jesus. So that become like my favorite place to go. I would hang out there anywhere from 30 minutes to 18 hours a day. Wow. When St. Raphael was looking for me a spiritual director, my spiritual director, my first visit said, I at least needed a deliverance and I might need an exorcism. And I took that back to my priest and he said, well, you're hanging out in front of Jesus for 18 hours a day. No demon would be willing to do that. He says, and I'm going to go out on a limb here and say that whatever demon was with you when Mary and Jesus showed up, they got the hell scared out of them. So I'm going to say you're not demon possessed because I'll perform a deliverance on you. Now, I had a satanic gift at that time, but I didn't know it was satanic. I thought it could have been godly. But apparently it was satanic because after I got the deliverance, that gift was gone. So my first spiritual director was Father Anthony Gramlich. He's the rector of the National Shrine of Divine Mercy in Stockbridge, Massachusetts. For those of you that don't know about Divine Mercy, it's Divine Mercy Sunday is the Sunday after Easter. Easter's coming up in three weeks, so Divine Mercy's in four weeks. Um, I officially... I was given the Blessed Miraculous Medal, started going to Mass in January of 08. I officially came into the church in May of 08. And since then, I've done, I'm going to estimate 150 interviews. And we have what's called a curriculum vitae or CV. It's a resume for speakers. It has every interview I've ever done and every talk I've ever given. I've got 24 items per page and I'm on page 16 right now. So I've been doing this for a minute. I started talking in my first ministry was uh, St. Raphael. And in that I learned to be a catcher and learned to just talk to people. And then officially working with my own ministry 
I started in October 2011. So I've been going from that till now. Uh, my most recent talk was a month ago. I gave six talks in three days in Washington, Maryland, and West Virginia. And uh, I've got some potential other talks coming up this year. But it's a very fun job working for God. And uh, at some point, I needed to look up um, names of ministry. So I had to start my own ministry. And uh, so, you know, trying, like, I took Benedict as my confirmation name. But I also found out about Padre Pio. And then I found out about, you know, Blessed Mother. I mean, she's rescued me from, from the pit of hell. And, you know, Divine Mercy Jesus. And, uh, and then there was Blessed Bartolo Longo. Blessed Bartolo Longo <laughs> used to be a regular guy. Then he became a Satanist. Then he became a Satanic high priest. And then he became a Catholic priest. And then he was worried that he was going to go to hell because he had been a, a, a Satanic high priest. And the Blessed Mother came to him in a dream and told him that anybody that propagates my rosary will not go to hell. So then he built a basilica in Pompeii to the basilica of um, the Holy Rosary. So um, I'm thinking he went that extra mile, so he's probably not burning right now. And uh, so, you know, but the, the Blessed Mother, Blessed Bartolo Longo, St. Benedict Padre Pio ministry doesn't roll off the tongue. So, and because we're all about inclusiveness in this country or inclusion, I thought all saints. So I named my ministry, all saints ministry. Like I said, my vitae is 16 pages long. I do this quite a bit. I have quite a bit of merchandise, CDs and DVDs telling you about my life or things that are stupid that you shouldn't do that I did right. or how to get out of things. I've got probably over a hundred videos on my YouTube channel. My website is allsaintsministry.org. Um, you can look me up and go directly that way on my YouTube channel, or you can go to my website on the front page on the left-hand side of the banner is a link. I've got interviews on there. And I've also got a lot of, you know, how to do this or not do that, or, you know, just things that are stupid that you shouldn't try. Um, a couple of fun videos as well. We've got, if you're watching this, you should watch uh, the toilet paper study. That was the funnest video I've ever done. And uh, I'm not gonna give you any details on it. It's just a fun video that I did recently. Um, I'll have to check that one out. I think I came I came across it the other night, but I for whatever reason I didn't play that one. <laughs> so I'll have to I'll have to go check that one out. I made nine videos in like two or two days, I think, and that was one of them. And all the other ones are like instructional. That one is just a fun video, and of the nine videos, I think that one has more hits on it than anything else. Oh, cool. And uh, yeah, I'd love to tell you the whole thing now, but you know, I want you to go see the video. Right. It's a good so, teaser for everybody. Right. So let me tell you that the extra story from Bohemian Grove. Okay. 
So remember, it's a male-only place. Mm -hmm. Only men are allowed there. Now, there you have, occasionally, you have rock stars. <laughs> uh, you have a lot of gay um, prostitutes, and you also have um, porn stars. And you have gay sex acts happening, which is very strange because there's a lot of people from, like, you know, both sides of the, both parties are there. Right. The Republicans make a strong showing there. You know, and there's all this gay stuff happening all around them, and they don't seem to mind. Mm -hmm. they really, they don't seem to, even as beyond, they don't seem to mind. They seem to enjoy it. You know, and then it's like, you know, the, if you got to go to the bathroom, just go pee on a redwood tree. You know, and right. everybody's okay with, you know, I'm flashing my penis now peeing out in public. You know, nobody has an issue with that either. So knowing that it's an all-male event, there are these buses that show up. These buses are actually allowed to park near the top, near where everybody is. There's an area for them to go. And when they park, there's a banner that comes out on the side of one of the buses, and it says Lolita Boys. Hmm. Ever wonder what a Lolita boy is? I know what the Lolita Express is. Okay. Well, these are called Lolita boys. And uh, you're not allowed to talk about it anymore. We already had our moment in the sun with Epstein. Right. So, um, so we've got these guys that are there. They're young looking. Mm -hmm. And they dress in two different modalities. You either have, they either have an, a Native American theme. So they'll be wearing moccasins on their feet, and then they have a loincloth and a thong going up their butt, and then they have a Native American bracelets <laughs> on their wrists, and then they have a, a Native American necklace on, and a, a sheep's, not a sheep, like a, a skin vest but it's not closed. It's open. So it's showing their chest and then they wear a headdress that has like two feathers in it, sometimes one feather and they've got war paint on their face. And none of them, I don't think are native American. I mean, there's usually most of them look white or maybe Italian. Okay. Um, they've got a slight tan. Some of them are very white, but they're all slightly built boys. Like all the, it's all, the participants are all men. These look like they're between 10 and 13 years old, maybe 14. So they're all showing their butt cheeks. They're all showing their bare chest. They're all smooth and hairless. And that's what you're looking at. And there's probably 10 to, as depends on how many they can get. Smallest amount of them I've seen is about seven. The biggest amount I've seen was a little over 20. These guys walk around carrying trays. Now they on occasion have drink or food on them, but usually they carrying messages. Okay. So they're carrying messages from one part of the camp to another, and they're running across the camp carrying this, and it has a little covering on it so it doesn't blow away, I guess. 
Then when they get to the right person, they take the lid off, they announce what they're doing, and they hand you the message. And then you can send something back or you can just read it and then they're done with their job. Now, the other way that they dress is in, they have black shoes that are very shiny, white socks that have pearls on them. Um, again, a loincloth that's black that has a thong going up the butt. Then they're wearing a black, like a tuxedo jacket. But again, it's not closed, it's open. Uh, they have a black tie on. Oh, and they have cufflinks. So they have cuffs, they have white cuffs with cufflinks, but there's no shirt. And again, you can see that these boys are hairless and smooth. And again, they look like they're 10 to 13 or 14, with the majority of them looking like they're about 13. But we're at one of these events. It's probably my second one or third one. It's in the 80s. Mm -hmm. And I noticed that this boy is he's dressed like the Native American, and he's been he's standing up, but he's bent over, and he's messing with this guy's socks and pants, and I don't know what he's doing, but I'm looking at his butt from behind. And it just catches my attention because it looks like a girl's butt. Now, I don't know why that is. I don't know what's different about a girl's butt than a boy's butt, but it looks like a girl's butt. Hmm. Now, I'm going to say that my level of expertise comes from being in porn right. and seeing it all the time, but I, I don't know if that's it or <laughs> what it is. I just know that that is a girl's butt. So... When that guy finishes messing with that adult's pants and he's walking past me, I said, meet me in my trailer. And, you know, I give him a card of which trailer is mine. And he agrees to meet me there. Now, they can't turn me down on the high wizard. Right. And he doesn't know what I want. And so later I pick up some food and some drinks and I take him to my trailer. And then my security guard opens the door, sees who it is. He walks out, holds the door open. This guy comes in. And my security guard asked, do you want me to come in? I said, no, you can wait outside. He's like, okay. And he closes the door. I offer this guy some food or drink. He turns both down. And I said, I wanted to ask you some questions. And he says, well, I can't answer everything. I said, yes, you can. So do you know who I am? And he says, well, you're the high, I said, wizard. He was, yes, high wizard. I said, right. He said, you can answer anything that I asked. I said, are you a boy? And he says, I appear to be. I said, all right, we're going to play this game, are we? How old are you? Old enough. How old is that? Now, I finally pinned down. This took about a half an hour. I pinned down that he was 19 years old. Hmm. I also had him stand in front of me and I lifted the loincloth. Under it is a pouch holding apparently equipment. And when he bounces up and down, this equipment bounces up and down. But I grabbed the equipment and it was foam. 
it was nothing in it. And when I pulled down the equipment, there was a vagina behind it. Hmm. It was a girl. It looked like a girl's butt because it was a girl's butt. Right. And she'd had injections. So her breast didn't grow. Oh, my God. And she was paid to look like this. She's of legal age. This is the thing. She's of legal age. All the girls out there are supposed to be of legal age. So they're all at least 18. They've had injections or surgery so that they don't grow breasts. Most of the stuff I understand was done with laser, so it doesn't leave scars. Hmm. And they're not supposed to tell that they're girls. And they service the men out there orally or anally. And don't let the men touch their equipment in front because they don't have any equipment in front. That's weird. It almost when you're describing it, it almost sounds like something from Peter Pan, like the way they dress. I could see that. But so the men, this is the thing that gets me. This is like, I don't know how um how explicit I can say something on your your show. You you have full free speech. Well, this is a full on mind fuck. <laughs> because as an adult man, you think you're having sex with a 12-year-old boy. Yeah, that's, why, that's gross. Well, that's gross anyway. Yeah. But you think you are, but you're really having sex with a 19-year-old girl. Hmm. It's like there's a joke being played on everybody involved. Weird. Like... It's like, I don't understand what, I, I, there's a rub going somewhere and I don't understand it. Yeah. Like, like they're making fun of what they really want and will be, they're like, oh, here, here you go. Here, here's your desires. And then they're sitting back laughing at, at these people partaking in this, like right. look at these dumb fucks. You know what I mean? It's like, you think you're getting a 12 year old boy, but you're really getting a 19 year old girl. And then does the guy doing it, does he feel guilty because he's having sex with an underage boy? Right. Even though he's not, is he now walking around with guilt for the rest of his life? Or is he lusting after more 12 year old boys because he's having sex with one of them, but he's really not. It's like the whole thing is so twisted. And it's like, how could people not see this as the work of the devil? Yeah, deception at its finest. Yes, that the, the entire situation is deception. Everything about it is twisted. You know, regardless of whether it's a boy or a girl, it's twisted. Mm-hmm. You know, and the knowledge of it, you know, like how many people know, because talking with the girl I was talking to, she said that even, you know, all the girls know that they're all girls. But the bus driver doesn't know. He thinks her voice. Hmm. 
all the men that are that are quote unquote hiring them think they're boys. Hmm. And if they found out there were girls, they couldn't be there because there's no girls allowed. Right. Now on the no girls allowed part, was Big Mike ever there? Michael Obama. <laughs> no, I I never say I never saw Michael Obama there either. Gotcha. Um, I did have uh just a couple questions. Um you were in the pink video, am I am I correct? Um it wasn't me. Or wasn't you, but it was it, it is a high wizard. High wizard. Okay. Because I remember I remember watching that after hearing the the episode uh for you know the first time and I was like, wow man, I, I never realized how they put that you know right in there. You know, I w- I would have never known unless I, I had heard your interview that that's what that was representing. There's also uh, a still photo of Pink on the red carpet standing right next to a high wizard. Hmm. If you look that up online, it shows up as there's a ministry in Spain and they interviewed me in 2016 and they have that picture on their website. Wow. You also mentioned in uh, an interview, you would give out coins. Um, And I remember one one part of the story, you were skateboarding and and you gave one to a little boy or, or some kid that was like, you know, there. But you also gave, I don't know if it was necessarily a coin, but you gave something to a dude that had barely any talent, was fat, couldn't sing, and became famous. Yeah. Okay, so the, the high wizard coin. Yes. Um, it's a gold coin. It has a picture of a top hat and a wander, a cane that goes across it on one side and says HW on the other side. Uh, we have silver coins <laughs> and gold. Uh, when we're at events, we would throw out handfuls of the silver coins, just like a little token, you know, anybody can get. Mm-hmm. But if you get the gold coin, you can take that up to another high wizard and get whatever you want. And oh, you wow. could give it to the same high wizard that just gave it to you. But, you know, we usually tell you, take that and think about what you want. Okay. Decide. Make it make an informed decision and then, you know, contact one of us and get whatever you want. You know, I, I gave Bill Clinton one because he gave me the cake and gave me good conversation. Hmm. And uh, I didn't understand when he called his in, he just wanted a girl. It was like, dude, you're Bill Clinton. You can get anybody you want. Yeah. And I guess the girl was telling him no. He wanted, you know, can you get me this girl? And he didn't come to me. He came to a different high wizard, but they gave him, you know, what he wanted. You know, he got whatever the girl that was. Right. Um, the kid on the skateboard was on Venice Beach. And he was skateboarding all around on a longboard, but he was doing stunts on it. And I asked if I could um, try out his board. And he just gave it to me and told me to go ahead. So I took off on the board. My security had to run beside me 
or at least try and keep up, <laughs> you know, to stay with me, which must have been entertaining to watch. And uh, so I tried a couple of stunts. I wasn't as good as a kid, but I rode around for probably 20 minutes and then came back and uh, came back as bored. And I said, what can I give you? And I pulled out my wallet and he said, I'll take a coin. And I said, what kind of coin? And he said, gold coin. So, I mean, obviously he dealt with a high wizard before. Right. And uh, so, yeah, I gave him one. I don't, he never called it in on me, so I don't know what he got. Um, was There was another, he also brought up another example, but I don't remember it. Um, the music star. Oh, the music star. Yeah, my wife and I have been racking our brains <laughs> forever. Um, I don't know what year uh, or decade it was. 90s. 90s. Okay, so we were completely off because she first said, oh, it was probably Meatloaf. And I'm like, no, Meatloaf came out long before that. Meatloaf had talent. Yeah. And uh, I've never seen Meatloaf dance, so I don't know what that looks like. But Right. Um <laughs> are you are you are you still beholden to silence on that or i I can tell you that it was i'll tell you what i'll give you the two bands that he could have been in okay and you just have to decide which one you think it is all right you want to talk about it off the air not on not being recorded yeah i'll tell you the guy's name okay but but this will be the the first interview i think where i've mentioned the, the band it could have been okay it was either Backstreet Boys or NSYNC. Okay. I know who I, okay. I have an idea. <laughs> so, uh, wasn't even, I didn't even think that. I was thinking more rock, but okay. Yeah. All right. I mean, he couldn't sing. He couldn't dance. He couldn't rhyme. He couldn't even make, we had, I don't know why it was there, but there was a Dr. Seuss book there. And he started reading the Dr. Seuss book. I asked him to read the Dr. Seuss book. And he read it. And just before it would have rhymed, he closed the book and said, I don't get it. Huh. And I, th- I thought that this, this is stretching Satan's abilities. Yeah. I have one last question. And this is only because it's my all-time favorite band. Uh, it's kind of where I got the name for the podcast. Um, have you had, when you were the high, high wizard, did you have any interaction with the band Tool or Danny Carey, the drummer? Okay. Or are you able or not allowed to answer that? I mean, that kind of put you on the spot a little bit because Danny's into Philema, Philemic Magic and stuff like that so I, I wasn't quite sure here's the uh i had to study that kind of magic when i was i wasn't we we studied basically you learn that all magic comes from the same place so really if you want your magic to work you just have to embrace the devil and do whatever you're going to do that's what it comes down to but the way i explained the bands that i worked with if you were famous previous to 1987, then I may have gone to your concerts, but I didn't sign you. Okay. You were already famous. 
But if you were famous between 87 and 99, and that's when you got famous, I probably signed you. Now, the two bands that I know that were not signed, but still made it big. And because, and the reason I say this is because every month at the beginning of the month, we're given a sheet. Now they already know for the entire month where we're going to be. Mm-hmm. Every town, every city, every state, every country, wherever we're going to be, it's on a sheet. So they line that up with all the concerts that are in those same cities at the same time as you're there. Any place you want to go, any band you want to see, check it off so that when you're there and whoever's playing there is there, you get to go backstage. Okay. Your limo takes you to the limo spot where the buses are, your, your escort, you know, your security team escorts you backstage and you get to take drugs with the band, eat with the band, party with the band. Sometimes you get to leave with the band and go wherever they're going to go party at their hotel or whatever. So you're hanging out with the band the whole time. Sometimes you don't want to go see the band. Sometimes Barry Manilow is coming to town. You're not interested. Right. So, or as my dad used to call him, barely man enough. (laughs) Barely man enough was coming. I wasn't interested. Gotcha. But the two bands that I really love to go see, the two bands that I saw more than anybody else. I saw Metallica four times and I had to pay every time. Mm -hmm. And I saw Pink Floyd four times and I had to pay every time. Mm. You're the high wizard and they signed with you. You get in free. Right. And I didn't get to get in free with either one of those bands. So that says something. So they got famous on their own merit. Hmm. When, when, when was, (laughs) when did they get their start? Uh, early nineties. Chances are good then. Yeah. Cause, uh, I think, uh, right around 93 is when they really came on the scene and just started running after that. But there's also, there's bands that, and I tell people that I signed about 1200 bands. There's bands that I've heard that came out during that time that I never heard of. Now, it could have been that they didn't have a band name when I signed them. Yeah, I could have signed an individual person that said, you know, one day I hope to be famous. Okay, sign right there. But, you know, the main thing, you know, I give that as an example, sign right there. That's not really how it happens. Um, We go to what's called a warehouse deal. It's a huge warehouse. They happen in Hollywood and Los Angeles. Everybody hears about it. Usually you hear about it from your publicist or your your director, your producer, a friend, another rock star. And you go to this place and I mean, you can come and set up with all your gear if you want to, because some people do. And they play for me, which is okay, but I don't really care. Um, some people are just standing around. I walk into the room, I am dressed like the high wizard and I announce who wants to be famous, who wants to be a rock star. Now, it's not just rock bands, it's rap bands, country stars, you know, whatever, whatever it is, that's fine. And, you know, whether you have a band or you're an individual, whatever it is, you know, Satan is there to please. And 
you know, everybody says they want to be famous. So then the next question is, what are you willing to do to be famous? See, now, most people say they would do anything. That's when you put them on the spot and say, what do you mean by anything? Because most people have a line in the sand they draw. Right. You know, like, well, I would do anything, but nothing with animals and nothing with kids. I walk away from that person. Satan doesn't want you. Satan wants the person that's willing to jump in the mud and be drugged through it. Right. If I ask you, you know, like some people say, I would do like this guy that can't sing or dance or rhyme. When you say anything, what do you mean by that? Give me an example. You know, and he's like, take me to a bestiality farm and let me have sex with a horse and a dog and a child and I'll do it. Okay. Here's a tier two card. It's a white card with a phone number on it. You call that number, meet them where they say, do what they say to do. Six months, I'll see you on MTV. He took the card. About six months later, I saw him on MTV. Singing and dancing. <laughs> Unreal. And it was, it was, like I said, 1,200 rock stars that I saw do that. You know, so when you hear about a rock star wrapping their car around a tree or hanging themselves from the kitchen, you know, or whatever it is, or whatever crazy way they come to kill themselves, and you're wondering, you've got everything. Why would you do that? Well, because you don't know what they had to do to get to where they are. Mm -hmm. And there's no amount of alcohol and drugs that helps you forget. You know, it's like, I was in porn for four and a half years. Now, I got out when I was 16. I'm 55. You know, you'd think that in 40 years, I'd have forgotten some of that stuff. That would be nice. But I haven't. Right. You know, there are times when I wake up when I feel like I'm having a heart attack and I'm covered in sweat. And in the dream, I'm doing something that I did when I was 12. But in the dream, I see my reflection and it's me now. Mm. So I'm 55 years old having sex with somebody that I did when I was 12. And I'm trying to stop. I'm trying to wake up. I'm trying to get help to what's going on. And I'm surrounded by demons laughing at me. And I can't stop and I can't wake up. And when I finally do wake up, I feel like I'm having a heart attack. Oof. And it is the worst place in the world to be. And I've done a lot of drugs since then and a lot of alcohol. And I'm not forgetting. Right. Well, it's a form of PTSD as well you know what i mean right. you're not right. you'll never shake it um right unfortunately but uh so you know so you've got these people that you know you've got lady gaga out there you know things <laughs> that she tells a story about selling her soul through the illuminati and now she thinks that's why she's got all the body pain and everything she's got mm-hmm you know, but she's out there. She just told everybody that she got rich through the Illuminati. That's how she got famous. So now everybody knows, hey, that's a real story. I can go find the Illuminati and get famous. Right. 
Zachary King said a warehouse deal. I got to find a warehouse deal. Well, you know, she's she's really close with uh, so Maria Abranovich. Right. Yeah, very close. Like she's she's like her little understudy. Right. You know, and she did an interview where she said, "Well, you know, if it's done in a coven, it's satanic witchcraft. But if it's done in a in a museum, then it's art." Yeah. I said, "Well, wait a minute. Let me think about that. If you go to church, if you go to a Catholic church." and you attend a church service, it's called a mass. Mm -hmm. If you have that same church service done at your house, it's called a mass. If you have that church service held on a boat, it's called a mass. Mm -hmm. No matter where you do it, it's called a mass. So I'm thinking, you're full of shit. It's a satanic coven thing, no matter where you are, and it's witchcraft, no matter where you are. Right. You know, Satan was a liar and a murderer from the beginning, so are you, lady. Mm-hmm. Is there anything else you want to touch on before we uh, we wrap things up? Uh, let's see. I've covered that you can't sell your soul, which is what I try and stress. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're Protestant and thinking about converting, not just you, but anybody listening, right? Um, contact me. I can show you how to convert. Um, if you're not interested in converting, but you do have questions, because I know that us and Protestants do things differently, I'm here to explain anything, any questions you might have. I, I know that some of the things that we do seem crazy to you, and I can maybe help them make sense. You know, it, you got to think to what does Satan want among the Catholics and the Protestants? He wants division. He wants us to fight. He doesn't want us to get along because unified, we can defeat the devil. Yep. And you can apply that to the government as well. That is true as well. And not just American government, government all over the world. Right. It's ran by very few individuals. So. Yeah, And they're in the Illuminati. Mm -hmm. Well, I thank you for coming on. This was such a pleasure. You know what I mean? Like, I, I felt like I, I didn't ask very many questions, but it, it, like I said, your story is just so fascinating. You know, I'm just sitting here like a listener, you know what I mean? Listening again and again and again. And, um, but the honor was all mine to, to, and to have you on. It, such a pleasure. And finally got to sit down and, and talk with you. And I do have one last question that I forgot to ask you. Um, do you still have any of those gold coins? No, no. And they, the, that former coven doesn't like come try and mess with you or anything like that. Um, I get enough. I mean, I get a lot of satanic attack. I get Mm -hmm. demonic stuff happens to me sometimes. Um, I don't know how much of what I'm going through health wise is God just letting nature take its course and how many of it is how much of it is satanic attack i mean i'm right um i'm blind um i'm diabetic um i lost my right foot so that's amputated um i'm on dialysis Mm. you know and despite all this i still travel i still do my talks right you know i'm healthy enough to to still do stuff 
you know, I'll be hopefully walking within a year. Um, so I'll be back to walking, but you know, I have a blind man cane when I'm out. I don't travel with a bodyguard very often. Uh, you know, I, I say that if you're close enough to do harm to me, you're close enough for Jesus or Mary to touch you. Mm, very good point. Well, again, you know, thank you. You know, I also think that if I was trying to hide, well, who else is hiding? Yeah, Satan. true. Satan. And they can't really touch you if you're out there talking about it. You know what I mean? Right. <laughs> it, it just proves it, it. It validates everything that you know. Right. You say so. Well, speaking of that, I was at an exorcism. Um, I work with exorcists around the world, and I was in Florida at an exorcism. And so, in the room is the people that are there for muscle case the person gets rambunctious and starts attacking the priest. There's two priests assisting, and then there's the exorcist. Then there's the guy being exorcised and myself. I'm sitting one row behind this guy to the right. And my job is just, uh, I'm going to sit there and pray. And then I listen to everything that happens. And then when we take a break, I give my assessment to the, to the exorcist. Mm -hmm. And... So just before the exorcism starts, the priest asked, he calls Satan before the tribunal of God. And he said, if you do that as the exorcist, Satan has to obey. So Satan himself shows up at the exorcism. Then he asked the devil what right he has to, to possess this person. And he said that he was possessing him through pornography, porn addiction, heavy metal music, and excessive masturbation. Mm. And then they had their words and him telling Satan that the boy has renounced him and he has no right to be there. And then Satan's head snaps to the right and he looks at me and says, Zachary King is not welcome here. He's a liar and a, and a traitor. And the exorcist grabbed a pitcher of holy water and doused him with the entire picture and yell silence, you will only talk to me. And this guy let out a howl and a scream that a heavy metal rock star would have been proud of. Like it was loud, I'm sure people outside heard it. And it lasted about three minutes. Jeez. That's that, with one breath, that's long. One breath, one breath. Wow. And then when he stopped, Satan was gone and it was back to being this kid. And, you know, we had like six or seven demons to work on. Oof. And then at the first break, which was about four hours later, <coughs> we went into a side room and it was me and three priests. And the first priest to come in the room said, that totally gave you street cred when Satan turned and told you that. <laughs> and the exorcist agreed he goes that was truly street cred for you yeah no doubt that's awesome well i'll wrap this up we can talk a little bit off the air and uh right. again thank you so much for for taking time out of your day to 
to talk to me and my audience and yes it, it was a lot of fun uh so on that note i will sign off and to my listeners remember think for yourself That shit, what you read in the covenant is cap. I was bred by the government. Fact check every head when it come to this upside down system. Had enough of it. Another sapien that's on the globe. Lost code, looking for the direction, but don't nobody know. The only bit of insight that they ever sold me, I've been starting to find out, doesn't really hold. Every highfalutin piece of shit hidden in a tie, high motives to align goals. Cheating on your wife, my ties at the ninth hole. Someone gotta die, they don't care, they itemize souls. Tit jobs from Botox to light bulbs, light bulbs in my head of where I might go. I'm on a tightrope, walking the sedge. And I've been wondering if anyone loves me, shit And I've been wondering if anyone loves me, yeah Fuck And I've been wondering if, look I've been hopping down this rabbit hole for quite some time To find lines that connect through to all their lies They normalize a real life poltergeist To trust Pfizer with a remedy to make you right The thought's sick I take a chance and roll my dice Because something in my stomach isn't sitting right I want a soul search, find a place to bring in light But I can't cause Fuck I'm bad shit, what you read in the covenant It's cap You were fed by the government Fact check every head when it come to this upside down system Had enough of it, we batshit What we read in the covenant, it's cap We were fed by the government Fact check every head when it come to this upside down system Had enough of it I want the power to shake shit and shift shape Tap into pineal eye without a mistake We have the power to live right and get straight But they found a way to remove this, they bitch made Hey. Keep on calcifying glands with your flow ride while I flow ride the valor of rhyme. I'm flying high by the seat of my pants. A beat speaking to me, know I'm talking back every chance. Hoping one day I make it overseas or to France. But in the Northwest, I trip without a traveling band. Yeah. And that's word to my cat plug. I'm higher than giraffe puss. Look what the cat drug in. Now I'm scribbling this rap in the bathtub. At midnight, I don't fill it up with the tap cup. Soaking in my cannabis suds. Anything for a buzz. Reclaim my residue inside of a dab jug. Peel through a fat stash, burning the last nug. I picture this dimension I don't want to come back from. But here I am, still stuck in the bathtub. My brain fried, but honestly, I'm fine. I'd rather not have one. I'm batshit. I'm fucking bad shit, and it's your fucking fault. It's their fault. Straight up. I'm done. I'm bad shit, what you read in the covenant. It's cap. You were fed by the government. Fact check every head when it come to this upside down system. Had enough of it. Enough of it.